40,000 euros. That's a, that's an expensive glob of saliva. Like, uh, and, and, not, and not for these for, guys, really. We're back. It's that time of the week. Uh, the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast. I'm Will Algren. This is Martin Grossman. You know the drill by now. Martin, how's it going? What's up, guys? Uh, I'm doing well, man. I feel like this past weekend was pretty eventful. I, I like looked at the FOTMOB app and leading into the weekend and saw a lot of different games that are pretty interesting heading into it uh, and got up really, really early Saturday morning um, to see my girlfriend off. She's just going back home from college, moving out. And so I was up and I was, I was supposed yeah, just everybody knows I have, I have a, I have a girlfriend. Um, (laughs) I, 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 you you slipped it in there. Yeah. Subtlety is one of my specialties. Um, but yeah, no, I was up at like 6am, uh, that I'm not thankful for, but I was like going to go back to bed. And then I ended up just watching, like I started watching the Leeds and Tottenham game, which turned out to be pretty good. Um, and then that kind of transitioned into watching soccer all day. I know Liverpool played Southampton that morning. Did you get a chance to see that game or no? Um, I'm currently in the throes of my own season, which means that the weekends are kind of taken up by uh, trips to games that I have to coach. And I oh, sadly right. don't get to watch as much as I would normally like to. But I, I recorded the Liverpool game, and I was very close to just not watching it at all. I've kind of hit that point with Liverpool. I think Really? First- Why is that? I'm I'm just very apathetic at this point. This has never really happened before. I mean, I, I watched Liverpool for a long time when we were much, much worse than we are now, you know, back when Roy Hodgson was the manager and relying on Stuart Downing to score goals. But hmm. I don't know. I mean, the, the game's just all kind of seen the same these days. It's just 90 minutes of frustration. And e- even this weekend, like we won, but it, it just wasn't that much fun to watch. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty done with this season. I'm ready ready for something new. This is some overwhelming pessimism to start off the episode. Didn't Mane yeah. score? Mane scored. Tiago scored. I mean, it was good. It looked a bit better. but That Tiago goal was nice. Tiago was nice, but it's just... I mean, we... I have, I have no confidence in this team. And that, that maybe used to be a fun thing where it was exciting every week because I didn't know what was going to happen. But now it's just kind of sad. It's just, hmm. I, I know what's going to happen. And... I mean, I mean, I could, I can't enjoy any of that Southampton game because after we score the first goal, it's just 60 minutes of us not looking like we're really going to score another and just being stressed out that, oh man, we did this against Newcastle. We did this against Leeds. Maybe this is going to happen again. Unfortunately, mm. it didn't happen, but I don't know. Those three minutes of enjoyment where I can relax at the end of the match are feeling less and less worth the 90 before them at this point. Well, I guess if it makes you feel any better, I share a bit of your somber from this weekend. We played Atletico Madrid to a very boring, in my opinion, 0-0 draw. Um, and like I think in the first game that Barca played Atleti this year, Suarez was injured or had COVID or something and couldn't play. And so I was really looking forward to this game and hoping that like we would at least see some sort of storyline. You know, like I wanted yeah. Suarez to score and make things interesting. And then I wanted obviously us to kind of rally around that. But it just didn't happen at any point in the game. Like it was not an enjoyable game at all. And and it just so happened to basically be, I think, probably like the worst possible outcome for us because yeah. we harmed Atletico 
in a sense, which might bestow greater chances to our biggest rivals in the same Madrid city. And we also just screwed ourselves over. Like it just was an unpleasant game. And and I think there's, you know, the, the Chelsea city game came that Saturday as well, which was kind of interesting to see like this really, really bizarre preview to the champions league tie. Did you get a chance to see that or no? No. I, uh, again, I was gone during it. I saw the highlights. Um, Pretty hilarious, the Marcus Alonso goal to seal it. Uh, that was, you know, just such a so horrendous mishit, and <laughs> ended up being like the only possible way he could have scored from there. It, it yeah, was quite yeah. fitting. I love to see that. I mean, what was kind of crazy about that game was like you saw Pep basically do the most, like, like the he basically just. It was hard to figure out. Really, it was hard to assess whether he was doing like a red herring thing where he was like just doing something totally different in basically having like Sterling and Ferran Torres who are wingers like traditionally play mm-hmm. basically kind of like as tucked in interior eights alongside Rodri. And then like mm-hmm. you had Jesus and Aguero that you were never really sure which one was the nine and which was the 10. And it was like, is this something where he's trying to do a bunch of smoke and mirrors and like not give away anything for the final coming up? Or I think so. Yeah, especially I mean, when you look at that formation. I mean, what was that? A, like a 3-3-3-1 three, 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 on the team yes, sheet or something like that? Correct. Just something we've never seen before. But I think, uh, I mean, what's what's a clearer sign that this is kind of a red herring is that um, City had one field player who started against PSG in that team. And I think that, that really shows the strength of City's team because that didn't look like a full reserve 11 at all. I mean, but, well, what's interesting is like that, that game, it's, I think it was easy to look at it and be like, oh, this is like a, you know, City B team playing Chelsea. But yeah. realistically, like all those players on the field were, in my opinion, like auditioning, right? Like all those players in any, in most other teams in the league, in other, in other leagues could probably be making a shout to be a starting player. And so I think that this was kind of an interesting situation where like he had the luxury, Pep um, had the luxury of like playing a B team, but all of them were going to play their, their, their hearts out because they all want to be starting that final. Like, yeah, well, I, I'm not sure if any of them will be after after <laughs> that this maybe weekend, not. but um, we'll see. But I, I kind of, you know, since we're on City now, I think this is a, a, as good a time as any to actually start the podcast 10 minutes in. We can uh, maybe get going here. Uh, I wanted to talk about the other Man City game that happened this week, Man City versus PSG. Yep. And, you know. As, as anyone who follows me on Twitter will know, uh, I've, I've made two tweets so far, and both of them <laughs> are just um, really lowbrow digs at PSG and how much I hate Ugh, them. Terrible. Uh, they're, I'm the one. I'm the one like the one like on on <laughs> yeah, on your person. Was, was Do you remember what it was? Petulant soccer guys. I think. Oh my god. That's pretty good. Um, that's your that's your like stamp on the platform. That's your inaugural tweet. Petulant no. soccer guys. PSG. That, that might have been my second one, actually. Um, but either way, you know, I, I love watching PSG collapse. It's one of my favorite hobbies. But uh, there there was an even worse collapse at that game that I've seen some people talking about, but not a lot. And that was, that was kind of the mental collapse from the referee. And uh, Martin, I remember on the first episode of this podcast, we got onto the topic of referees for a little bit. And I, I kind of... <laughs> I asked the rhetorical question is like, is there a universally liked referee? I wasn't expecting an answer, <laughs> oh. but Martin, Martin said, said Bjorn Kuypers. I said Bjorn Kuypers. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore, man. After, after this game, I, I kind of so hate funny. Bjorn Kuypers. 
I, I think he did a terrible job. I think it, it's very lucky that there weren't some serious injuries in that game. So for anyone, oh my. For anyone who didn't watch, um, City, City kind of got up. It was clear that they were going to win this. And PSG, as they have done before, just lost their heads. Di Maria had the first red card for just a stamp, like completely outside of the field of play. And after that, uh, things should have gotten a lot worse. So I'm going to just lay out the potential red cards PSG could have gotten. And the first one, this is by far the weakest case, but I'm going to still include it, and you'll see why later, is uh, I think Lando Paredes kicked the ball at Phil Foden's face when he was lying down or something. It would have been very soft. I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, this should have been absolute red, but I've seen them given. Uh, next one, Verratti commits a yellow card and then like 30 seconds later, slide tackles someone from behind to break up yep, the play. Yep. Like I always a yellow card, not given. And then this this kind of got worse as the game went on and it ended with two just like absolute horror tackles, like like terrible, terrible challenges. I think should have been clear reds uh, from Kimpemba and then right after that, Danilo Pereira right. a few minutes later. So if if you're being harsh, if you give all of those as red cards, which I think, you know, maybe not the Paredes one, but the rest of them should have been. PSG would have had to forfeit that match. Ineligible, not enough players. And they didn't. And that, that just kind of made me really upset. And what made me even more upset is when I saw some of the yellow cards they got given to the Man City players in that game. Because uh, Zinchenko, hmm. I think around that period, got a yellow card for complaining about Paredes kicking the ball. And De Bruyne got one for like a very innocuous challenge in midfield, just kind of halting the field of play. And I don't know. I I looked at those two offenses, you know, something like a De Bruyne or a Zinchenko thing being given the same punishment as these horrific, you know, studs up into the side of the leg tackles from Daniela Pereira. And I'm just like, should should both of these still be a yellow card? Like, are we doing something wrong with yellow cars that both of these things are being punished the same way? I think it's a, it's a good question. I, you mentioned something, I think, at the beginning with regards to, like, you know, me mentioning Bjorn Kuypers as being a guy that was, like, universally liked. And then, you know, you you claiming that after this performance, you're, you're done with him forever. And I was going to comment that it was a reactionary take and that this was, like, Twitter and oh, it people is. were just yeah. blowing up, blown, blown up about the situation. But what I thought was actually really interesting... I think after the fact, there were rumors that came out per Ander Herrera and per Verratti saying that Bjorn Kuypers actually, like, also verbally insulted a variety of the PSG players, telling them to F off at various points of the match when they complained or said certain things. And there was this kind of discourse around, like, are referees allowed to do that? Are referees allowed to insult players? Are, are like, you know, a player insults the referee and they get carded a referee says something to the player like what happens then and i thought that was an interesting kind of like yeah additional tidbit to this whole like fixture with these cards and like the inconsistency in the way in which fouls were being called yeah it is i i actually hadn't heard that uh that's interesting i mean bjorn kuypers literally has like an f off card in his pocket so he could have just <laughs> maybe used, used that a couple times instead of yeah. uh, trying to use his words but you know it's a learning process i'm sure he'll do better the next time he's uh well I think the other thing that that comes to mind when I think about like recent situations that have caused me to kind of reevaluate the efficacy of our like crime and punishment system in football is, and I know I'm biased in saying this, but it's, you mentioned Fernandinho. I'll talk about another Brazilian central defensive midfielder in Casemiro. 
Yeah. And like this guy, again, I'm, I'm biased. I apologize to any Real Madrid fans out there who feel as though I'm coming, you know, out of left field with this. But I'm sure you kind of agree. And I'm sure you love him for the same reasons that Barcelona fans kind of dislike him. This this guy is kind of like very well understood as being the destroyer in that midfield. He's very, very talented on the ball, very good in the air, has a good shot on him. Like by no means is he only a destroyer, but he is. That's kind of his primary like purpose. Yeah. And Against Barcelona recently, when they played El Clasico, he received a red card in like the 91st minute, an injury time, right, for something. And they, the commentator made, a, made some sort of like uh, comment about the fact that this was his second career red card. Yep. His I, second I career right. red card. And the last one he got was like in the 2018-2019 season. A guy that's like made his entire career off of basically just like stopping plays, tackling people, professional fouls, like basically just a brutal midfielder that obviously you love him if he's on your team, but you hate him if you're anybody else. Two red cards in his entire career. And and what I thought was kind of interesting was like when he got that final one, the, the second yellow in injury time, he, he gets this red and then like just laughs and trots off the field. And it's like, what? Like, like what is the, what is the purpose of carding players? If yeah. that's going to be the reaction to it. And so this all, I think, kind of ties into, yeah, what we're probably going to chat about a little bit today, which is this question of like, are cards a functional system in this sport? And maybe assessing whether or not it's really the best way to do things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really the heart of this. Like, are cards functional? Because that that is an interesting point that, you know, you have this player like a Casemiro who's known for being violent and he's still someone that pretty much by playing, uh, you know, in a calculated, smart way is able to avoid any real punishment. Sure, he racks up a lot of yellow cards, but it never really leads to a red. It doesn't lead to much. And he he's right. able to play the way he does with that punishment. I think uh, Pepe is maybe another Real Madrid example of this that you hate. Oh, yeah. You, you know, had, had the narrative around him that he was an incredibly violent to get defender. But, you know, if you look at his red card stats, not actually all that bad. He was another similar player who was, you know, able to avoid punishment. And I think that's, that's just his soccer's punishment system is set up in a very strange and kind of loose way, especially when you compare it to other sports. Hmm, okay. um, so I, I, on one, on one kind of end of the spectrum, is you have the, these very kind of codified set set in stone rule systems, and I'd use like American football and hockey as example of this, where penalties are very specific. They're laid out. You know, this offense will be a ten yard penalty or a two minute box penalty. There, there's very little objectivity. There's a very extensive rule book, and the only debates you really get on referees are binary ones, where it's like oh, that shouldn't have been called, period, or that should have been called, period. There's no, oh, well, no, that should have been just 15 yards instead of 10 yards. Hmm. And, and there's then, also, I guess, like, greater greater categorization of the actual infraction from what you're oh, saying, yeah. right? I like mean, every single infraction has its own category with its own specific punishment, pretty much. Right. I mean, nothing is left left up to yeah, the referee's discretion, really. And if you if you compare that, obviously, to like yellow and red cards, where basically any sort of foul is just kind of lumped into one thing. Yeah, there's 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 maybe something to be desired there for the subjectivity that's kind of bestowed upon the referee in giving them the opportunity to make that decision. And maybe that kind of conflates things like you were talking about, like Zinchenko getting mad at the referee because Paredes hit a ball at at, at 
you know, Foden's head. I don't remember if that's the same play or not, but like comparing that to Verratti, mm-hmm. two tackles in the span of two minutes that are just kind of like, I'm I'm pissed off and I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I, I think the objectivity is something that really most specifically applies to yellow cards because there are kind of hard lines on the two other types of punishment in soccer, which are common fouls and red cards. And the way I kind of visualize this is like a number line. So let's let's imagine, let's put at zero on this number line is like the, the lightest common foul that every single referee would agree is a foul. And you know, there's, there's numbers past this zero, there's fouls at like negative five that some refs are gonna call, some refs are not. But this zero point is where every ref in the world is going to call a foul, but it's not that bad. It's you know an innocuous trip in midfield that is. Off. Yeah, it's like it's like a critical threshold. Yeah, I yeah. think that makes sense. And then on the other side, we have the other critical threshold, and I'll put this at a hundred. And this is like again the lightest possible offense that will be seen as a red card by absolutely everyone. Got it. Okay. I'm glad we're using a number line that the elementary school kids can understand too. Yes, I, I almost went with 10 instead of 100 to, you know, just keep it easier <laughs> to understand for them. Yeah, 100's a but, little high. You know, I figure they can use the practice. Yeah. So so these these two points are defined for every single referee. These are defined by, you know, a point at zero will be called a common foul by every single ref. You know, some refs might mm-hmm. call lower than that, but it doesn't really matter. The point at 100 will be called a red card by every single ref. There might be worse infractions than this, but they they get the same punishment. But there's two other really important points along this line that every referee kind of has to decide where to place for themselves. Those are points where that common foul becomes a yellow card and a point where that yellow card then becomes a red card. Okay, so like the the transition points. Yeah. So, so for some referees, that might be, you know, they want to play it very in the middle. They will say, I'll give a bit of leeway. Anything up to a 25 on this scale is maybe just a common foul. 25 to 75, I'll give a yellow card. And then I want to be a little bit harsher with my red card. So if something's on the borderline between 75 and 100% of red, then I will give that too. And you get some refs like Bjorn Kuypers on, on Tuesday in that game clearly placed his line for a red card, you know, straight at 100 he gave hmm. he gave the Di Maria one that he absolutely had to because I, he, I see what you're saying. No okay. one would have done this, but a tackle like the Kempemba tackle or the Danilo Pereira tackle that's a 99 that most other refs would have given that was below the line for him because he drew right. it so high. So so basically, what you're saying is that like each ref kind of has their own like they kind of design their own like function right of like yeah. offense to punishment and so like crime and punishment curve and and so what the argument here is saying is like it's kind of not necessarily linear that like you can kind of tug at the nodes between the different points at either end and adjust yeah. like, does it really, really ramp up at the end? Does it like taper off? And if it's in the case, in this specific case, it's almost like, yeah, like the punishment for a 99 was way too low because it wasn't the, you know, the 99 scalable equivalent of punishment. It was maybe less than that. Yeah. And this, this is the problem you run into now. I mean, obviously it was not an issue, in that PSG City game, because these these offenses were occurring so late in the match that there really wasn't that much time for the players to get another one, especially the Danilo and Kempebe tackles. Yeah, it's but, like too far gone. But I mean, if this happens earlier in a match, there's the idea that like if, if Kempebe gets a yellow card that, you know, is, is like just a touch away from being a red, 
then he's still just on a yellow card. And in theory, he has to get another yellow card before he gets a red card, even though With he like should five only minutes be, left. He should only be like 1% away. He should be like just on the borderline already. But instead, he's only halfway because there's only one stop in the middle. Yeah, it's like inherent. It's inherently flawed in that sense. And then the timing, yeah. we talked about the timing a little bit in our last episode discussing um, the fact that like, yeah, this game lasts for 90 minutes. And so the punishment that's awarded, you know, a yellow card given in the 45th might take on a different meaning than a yellow given in the 90th. Because in the 90th, it's like, yeah, like what's this going to do to that player? They've been warned, but their warning only really lasts as a label for another, you know, three, four, five minutes. And then it mm -hmm. disappears, right? Like, yeah, I think and, it's similar to what we were talking about last week with uh, kind of the optics of managers making late subs. I think this is the referee equivalent. You know, they'll give out a yellow in the 93rd minute because they know it's not going to mean anything. And it looks like yeah. they're doing something. Just to and, show the fans that they're controlling the game. Yeah. Controlling the game, you know, within air quotes. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. one thing I think it's interesting, too, to, to consider, you mentioned like the number line, and I like that analogy. I think one additional thing to consider with the number line is that if we look at some of those other examples of other sports, like you mentioned basketball or, or well, you mentioned football and hockey. I'm going to introduce yeah. basketball too. And go for it. I love basketball. I, I, I think that like we, we you talk, you talk about the number line, you made the joke about going from like 10 to a hundred, but I think that actually alludes to an interesting question of like the resolution of the fouls in soccer. So like resolution, I guess what I'm calling here is like in soccer, you have like a whistle that's blown right? For a common foul, like you were saying, you have a yellow mm -hmm. card and then you have a red card, right? And you mentioned that there's like transition regions between them, but that's like three critical nodes for the different kind of like demarcations of punishment. Yeah. And I, I, I guess like if you look at basketball, right? Basketball, as far as I'm concerned, you have like six foul, depending on the competition, like in the NBA, I think you have six fouls before you foul out of a game, yep, right? That's right. And, and so what happens there is like now you have yeah, six moments in which you can commit an infraction and then you're finally given your expulsion at the end of six. Like, mm -hmm. if you look at hockey, you can, like, commit a foul at any given time and then serve, like, an immediate punishment where you're basically put in a timeout box with a dunce cap and you sit no. there for two minutes and, like, you know, you argue and yell at the fans and then you they, come uh, back in. They actually got rid of the cap a couple years ago because they thought it was degrading to the players. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I'm picturing, like hockey players with the little cone hat sitting there moping angrily fans making fun of them that's a good idea i think we should maybe have that for soccer too maybe but we got to bring the dunce cap back yeah but you get what i'm saying like like the resolution thing is interesting with soccer yeah. right where you you just have these three ways of like calling something that's serious and in other in other sports it's not that way. And like in basketball, you kind of have like these six fouls. You have like a technical foul, which, you know, maybe better what that kind of constitutes, which maybe just more of a serious yeah. foul, right? A, a technical foul is like, no, a flagrant foul is a, is a more serious okay. foul. That's more of a yellow card analog. Uh, technical foul is more like a descent, descent card type of thing. Interesting. But they have like, again, like six, six fouls to get, to get kicked out yeah. in soccer. You have two. Too. In, in some sense and, and and that feels to me like really really poor resolution like you you have little room for error and and the fact of the matter is that with that subjectivity that you were mentioning earlier it's like you, you could have one miss kind of like flimsy call that's made and then you really can't make up for it i know over the course of the next five fouls that you call it's just 
two moments, you yeah. know? It's it's just two. And and even compared to something like basketball, you know, basketball is a sport where, you know, for the most part, I would say that most common fouls are about equal. They all have about the same effect on the game. Yeah. But you know, they're, they're all they all come in the same sizes. So it's like you get six of these things and you know, you you got your stack, you're done. But with yellow cards, I mean, for one, it's only two things. That's a much smaller sample size. But two, they're a lot less consistent. I mean, there should be kind of this idea that all yellow cards all are the same, that you'll be getting, you know, you'll be given a yellow card for the same thing in every match. But I mean, just from watching games, I mean, I know that's not true. And you know, that's not true. I mean, there's a lot of examples that yellow cards are used differently depending on the scenario in a game. Well, you might also kind of invoke the idea that in basketball, like the potential for violence, in my opinion, is a lot lesser than what exists in soccer. Like in soccer, you just start off with the fact that like you're you're wearing shin guards, you're, you have studs on your on your cleats. It's mm -hmm. larger field. And I think that players might reach higher speeds than they typically might in a smaller court situation like basketball. In basketball, like a foul, like a shooting foul is like making contact with a shooter's hand as they go for a layup. If you make contact with a player's foot as they shoot the ball, it's not like they get a free kick. In in soccer, it's like you tackle a guy, you know, studs up, and you're given a yellow card. There's just like, yeah, like like you were saying, the the the, the fouls in basketball seem to be like all kind of more more aligned. Like you see somebody doing a reach in for the ball, and it's called, or you mm -hmm. see somebody doing a shooting foul, but like you never see somebody like tackling somebody in basketball and like hurting them to the point where you like need this yellow and red card situation. Yeah. It's just like and, and if they do, they, they immediately jump to the flagrant, you know, they're very quick about this. They have set rules, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where like these rules are so set, like I can watch and there's no, there's no like real debate between the commentators. Like, Oh, is he going to give it a, is he going to give a technical? Is he going to give a flagrant? Yeah. It's like, here are the rules. He's going to give a flagrant one. Here's exactly why they just, it's, it's very laid out for you. Very objective. Yeah. Well, and so I guess maybe what we can kind of dive into now is like, we, we've talked a little bit about the number line, a little bit of the resolution concept. Yeah, let's use maybe some more one real that, examples. Let's ground it a bit. Yeah, like what are what are really the flaws and the problems um, with, with yellow cards? And like, why are they inconsistent? Why are they maybe infrequent? Why are they maybe illegitimate? Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Um, I mean, I think the biggest one, the biggest flaw or kind of inconsistency you can point to with yellow cards is the time at which they're given. Uh, there's there's a very, very clear tendency that yellow cards are given later in matches. Uh, I, hmm. I did a little bit of research on this, actually, and I think the most striking way uh, I, I can put this is that there's significantly more cards given in stoppage time, which is just a few minutes at the end of games, than there are in the first 30 minutes of an entire match. And that that's very consistent. That's a crazy stat. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like the context really, really matters. The context matters a lot. And, you know, a foul that is not a yellow card ever in the first 10 minutes, you know, will be given as a yellow card pretty much every time after the 90th minute. And I think part of that is down to foul accumulation for sure. But hmm. I think a lot of it is probably not. And uh, it's kind of like, the ref, the ref like sees a tackle 10 minutes into the game. And I feel like the, the gut reaction is like, okay, give them a warning. Yeah. And if it happens late on, it's like, okay, now we've crossed some sort of like, like another critical threshold where it's like, now it's okay to give yellow card. Like how yeah. often do you see yellow cards, or, like straight reds given even in the first, like, like straight reds in the first half, yellow cards in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of a game. It's rare. 
Yeah. Well, reds reds actually have a bit less correlation with time than yellows do, which is interesting. Uh, reds reds are kind of a harder lock that it's it's harder to avoid. But I think it's hmm. kind of a psychological thing for referees, where like they they don't want to give yellows, and you'll hear people say like, "Oh, the referees made it left himself no choice here." You know, I think I think that's a lot of it. The referee doesn't want to give an early yellow card for for a tackle ten minutes into the game because then he has no choice. Because if then anything mm. else happens, he has to give the second yellow because the yellow is such a harsh and weird and a subjective punishment. It's kind of like the notion of like let the boys play too. I feel like that's such a common sentiment where it's just like, hey, they're just you know they're just hurting each other a little bit. You let yeah. the, let the game kind of carry on. I guess another thing to, to bring in here, I we're, we're just probably going to do a hodgepodge of different reasons why yellow cards are, like we said earlier, inconsistent, mm-hmm. I don't know, infrequent, illegitimate. One thing that I think you meant you touched upon is like the foul accumulation. I think that one of the things that a lot of tournaments have set up and a lot of leagues have set up is this idea that you can get suspended for an accumulation of cards, right? Like if you get five yellow cards within a certain amount of time, then yeah. you miss the next match, right? If you have a red card, then you have to have serve a game suspension or three game suspension or something like that, mm-hmm. depending on the offense. I think that that also kind of like is like a weird deterrent, right? Because there's always kind of situations where you know how like in the starting when they show the starting graphic when they start a game, and yeah. they show like the the lineup and they show the subs and the coach, they always kind of like will put like a little yellow card on the guy that's like on his last, you know, like his his last yeah. straw. Um, he's hanging by a thread, and I think that that kind of stigmatizes giving the yellow to that player, right? There's a weird thing where like if a player is on four and they're in the UCL and they might mix the ne- miss the next match, I think referees have like a weird bias where they definitely go into the game knowing who is on a card, right? Like there's no way they don't know. Yeah, They definitely have that they, information. They have to do their research, I assume. And so it's like the implication of that suspension, I think could apply pressure, right? You, you, yeah. you When you are, when you're doing, instead of being like, okay, the, I, I'm going to blow the whistle and call a yellow card because the foul that I saw was a yellow card worthy foul. Instead, it's like it's like this bigger thing. We talked last week too about like anchoring yourself in something greater. And when we when we mentioned like you know a player that's get, that gets signed by a big club and then has to live up to their transfer fee, this is kind of the same thing. It's like now not only are you just giving the yellow card for the foul, you're basically you are suspending them now for the next game. So it's almost yeah. like does the fun does the does does it fit the bill? Like does the punishment fit the crime? Yeah, I think it. A similar example, even more common one, where this comes into play too, this idea of pressure is, I mean, not even having those accumulated yellows, but having a yellow in the same match. Because once a player has one yellow card, uh, the bar for what gets them a second yellow changes drastically. Because Mm -hmm. it it is not a simple one plus one equals two situation here. After you get your first yellow, in most cases, you'll have to do something pretty bad to get a second. Yeah, it's like way harder. Yeah. Because because people will say, oh, that's that should have been that would be a first yellow, sure, but you you can't give a second yellow for that. You can't send them off for that. But he's yeah, not like, what is what is a first yellow? What is a second yellow? Yeah, I agree. It's kind it's flawed there too, where people kind of have this like idea that the second one is like, oh, well, you're going to kick him out of the game. This has yeah. a different significance. But at the end of the day, it's the same color card. It should be the exact same thing. No, it should be, but, but it's not. And you know, people people on yellow cards will get away with lots of tackles and lots of silly stuff that people who are not on yellows might not get away with, especially when it gets late in the game. I, I, I guess you mentioned silly, silly things. Um, one thing I definitely want to bring up here is the idea of the just descent. I think descent is a really, really bizarre thing that a lot of people are given cards for. I think descent cards are really 
in my opinion, too easily dished out. You mentioned the Zinchenko case, and like I know, I know like De Bruyne, he maybe made like a yeah. like a tackle or just held up play. But dissent is really weird to me because I, 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 something, some part of me really, really believes firmly that like a harsh tackle has to be worse than making a stupid comment to the referee and like you know kind of like challenging their authority or like disrespecting the person that's supposed to kind of like control the temperament of the match i feel like the the question kind of comes back to also i mean comes back to purpose which is like why do we have cards in the first place is it to prevent violence or is it to ensure respect or is it to ensure respect of the game like who are we respecting is it the players is it the people as a whole or is it just outdated rules that we've had for so long that we don't really exactly. know to question them? Well, yeah. And like I mentioned the thing about Bjorn Kuyper is like insulting the players back. I think that's kind of a funny scenario. Like, do you think that like, I don't know, like should should players be allowed to do that? Like like players, players often will say comments to the referee. I think the ref has the right to maybe defend themselves. Yeah. That would make for some pretty entertaining television. I think why not, man? They're they're all adults. They can handle themselves. You know, I, I get that soccer is a, a nice sport, but you know, you go out on the street and someone can call you an idiot, you know, you, you right. can't stop them. why can't we do this on the soccer field too? Why can't why can't I just say, you know, ref, you got that one wrong? And and not and I, not get a yellow card for doing that. I totally agree. I, I think that one of the interesting things to look at here too is like just the authority dynamics, like the the weird power dynamics at play, because the ref is really given a lot of immunity. Like obviously Absolutely. he's not a player, so you certainly can't like tackle the ref and expect anything else to happen, right? But like in terms of just like debate, if somebody like walks up to the ref too quickly, that might like be a sign of like intimidation, and then they might get sent off. And and I guess one question to think about here is just yeah, like. I feel like it's so weirdly animalistic, the whole gesture of giving a card too. Like the power dynamics are really grotesque where it's like you're going out to the player instead of just blowing the whistle, which is just a noise that's mm-hmm. like neutral that like everybody can hear and everybody knows something happened. You're like going out to the player and you're like brandishing this color and yeah. you're you're showing it to them. And Saying, it's just watch such out. A, I got another one of these and I'm ready to use yeah, it. Yeah, it's such a weird like, like, like power dynamic. And I think... Yeah. You you mentioned something that you that you looked up a little bit about. Yeah, like, I, I want to get into this. It's, um, so speaking of power, um, I, I read this study recently while I was kind of thinking about this stuff. And it was about short referees and tall referees. And as a, you know, as, as a former short person myself, I fully buy into the notion <laughs> that, you know, tall, tall people just have more inherent authority and people respect them more. More arrogance. Yeah. More, you know, they're more threatening, I suppose. You know, they could hit you from a higher angle, I guess. And people are scared of that. Um, So so how this showed is that short referees gave significantly more cards than taller ones did. Hmm. And this, this is pretty consistent across a few different leagues. And I think there's two real ways you can look at this. I think the first way is that these short referees have some sort of Napoleonic complex where, where they want to be, you know, they want to show that they are dominant by handing out a lot of cards early compared to taller mm-hmm. referees. And they say, you know, see, you can't mess with me. I'm going to call this harshly. Yeah, like I might appear small, but I have all the power and more yeah. that it, it's, somebody it's, that's more domineering might have. It's stamping their authority onto the right. game. Totally. And, but, but I think the other way 
you can look at this is that maybe the referees are acting the same way. Maybe it's the players that are changing. Maybe the players Ooh. with a shorter referee don't seem yeah. as much of a, you know, don't seem as, as much of a threat, I guess. And are like, okay, we can get away with more. We can be more violent. And maybe the referee is refereeing exactly the same way as a tall one does, but there's just a lot more fouls. There's a lot more violence going on. But I think either side of that you're on and either explanation you use, I mean, it's very clear that, you know, cards are kind of this this statement of authority in a lot of ways. I, I think uh, you mentioned kind of overcompensating for for height as a thing that might like rear its ugly head when it comes to this like Napoleonic complex with short refs. Yeah. I think another way that you could look at overcompensation too is that sometimes on like in certain occasions you get these like really, really bizarre over overcompensated like punishments too, where I think Such earlier as- this year, Marcus Turam was suspended for like five or six games because he he spit on a Hoffenheim player. And like, yes, it's during COVID. There was it was obviously a huge PR thing, and everybody was like, you know, I think Turam's like, you know, Lillian Turam, like his father, like came out and was like, I'm disgusted in my own son. But it's like he was fined forty thousand euros. That's a, that's an expensive glob of saliva. Like. Uh- and, and, not, and not for these for, guys, really. I don't know. Okay, but five or five or six games for spitting. Like I think about the offenses that I've seen that have gone like unbooked, and it's yeah. like spitting. Yes, you, we don't. We, it was at the time it was uncertain how COVID spread, and so it was like, oh, he could have given COVID to this guy, and COVID th- could have killed him. This isn't but a new thing either. I mean, you you'd get that kind of ban doing that three years ago, probably. Maybe but I just think it's interesting. I just think it's the overcompensation. It's like, why is spitting, which at the end of the day, in terms of like bodily harm, let's say it's not COVID, right? We go back to three years ago. It's like very much more of like an insult than it is a harm thing. Like I would rather have somebody, I don't know, maybe this is a weird thing to say, but like I'd rather have somebody spit at me or spit at the ground near me, which has also been called often, than than take me out from behind and like tear my Achilles. You know what I mean? Like, and and on the one hand, you might like maybe get a yellow. On the other, you're going to get suspended for five or six games. It's just weird. It's like, where are we drawing the line? Yeah, I think I'm gonna I get, I'm gonna clip that bit about I'd rather have people spit at me and use that as our <laughs> teaser, maybe. Oh my god. <laughs> Elementary school kids like level, come on. We're doing rated G. Um, Will, you already used up your like seven curse words in the last podcast. So it's gotta be all, you know, out of the gutter from yeah. here on out. Remember right. that. Yeah, I, but, I'm out of the gutter. Don't worry. But before before we carry on with this, there's a couple of additional little teeny things that I want to talk about too. We mentioned mm-hmm. descent earlier. One thing I think is also by the same token of like, you know, the, the, the spitting thing being overcompensated and, you know, continuing on with your weird, like sexual innuendo, whenever a player removes their shirt for a goal celebration, yellow card, yellow card, they, they take off their shirt for a goal celebration, yellow card. Yeah. And it's like, like, what's that about? What is that? Like semi nudity? Actually, it's about advertising. It's about advertisers. They want the uh, shirt sponsors to be visible during goal celebrations. I'm not joking. That's what it is. And they're given a yellow for that because it's yep. a financial thing for this didn't, this didn't Chevrolet. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, like, but but you get what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. how, who is that? Who is that harming? At the end of the no. game, they all take off their shirts and they all exchange them with each other, right? Yeah. They go into the locker room, they take off their shirt. Like, why is that a yellow card? Like, you're again, you're gonna have a tackle that that puts a guy out for six months because he the guy goes in studs up against their knee, and then you're gonna give the same punishment to somebody who was just whipping their shirt around because they scored a banger. Like, it doesn't it's make any silly. sense. Or even whipping their pants around if they're Fabio Caglarella scoring a goal for Juventus. Um, 
But yeah, it's it's weird. And <laughs> all right, you weirdo. <laughs> you, you don't remember that one? No. No, I don't. His, I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure his, you remember he, it. He didn't want to get a yellow for taking off his shirt, so he took off his shorts instead. I think actually was not booked. <laughs> it was pretty genius. That's incredible. Um, but that, I mean, that little anecdote, I think, kind of sums up a lot of the problems I have. Where it's like these these things, like you said, they're not really hurting anyone. They're just against the rules. And you know, these rules have been here for a long time. They're they're very you know codified things now where like everyone knows that you can't take off your shirt after a goal you know everyone knows everyone knows you can't kick the ball away after a free kick is given everyone knows you can't do these things when a player is sent off from doing these things my reaction is just like come on man like you should have known better than that and my reaction my reaction when a player is sent off for like a horror tackle is like oh my god like get him off the field like this is what red cards are for and I don't have that sense of like this guy needs to go when someone does something like just takes his shirt off or talks to the ref. And it's like well, it's kind of this stuff really be punished that harshly. I mean, it's kind of funny too to think about it from that lens where like you're just asking, okay, if this is supposed to be like a deterrent for players to like not be violent or not, you know, uh, commit infractions to the rule book and respect the game. Like, think about this when you go to celebrate there are an infinite number of celebrations you could possibly do and there are people that still very consistently will take their shirt off and they know very very well exactly what's coming mm-hmm. and they don't think twice it is not something yep. that deters them like what they will do it they will look the yellow card in the face they'll nod and they'll say yep like i did sit-ups this week for a reason and at a certain point it's just like okay no it's the same issue. An- another thing with di- with dissent. Now that I'm thinking even even more, cards to coaches. Cards to coaches is also like I feel like I don't know if there there probably some rule book out there that has like an explanation. But what always tends to happen is there tends to be some sort of comment that's made. Like the the, the ref. I'm, I'm speaking with recency bias. Like Komen got ejected from a game recently. I think it might have been the Granada game, and then he had to, sure he was. Had to, yeah. He had to miss the Atletico game, and he then the previous one, whatever or the next one. I don't know. And and. What always happens when the coach gets sent off is no one knows what happened. No one knows what happened. It's always like, oh, he said something. And like, I think the, the press was talking about how Komen said something to the fourth official saying something like, you know, oh, like the, the Spanish translation is a little bit wonky or loose, but it's like, oh, like what a character, this guy. It's basically what he said. Or like, what a clown. Send him off. Red yeah. card. Like, and so it, it's, it's just, again, it's inconsistent. It's like, okay, I feel like if Komen does something you know, but where do you draw the line? It's it's the it's the subjectivity. It's the resolution. Yeah. It's like, can you give a, a a a coach a foul? Can you blow the whistle for something the coach says and not give them a yellow? No, yeah. you never see that, right? M- more problems. I don't know. Do you have more on your list? I've got a couple little extra things. Um, I, I have a little bit more, but I think we're okay. we're kind of running up on halftime here. So I'll just I'll just uh, finish by saying, kind of leading the second half. I, I like you talking about the players who take their shirts off after scoring uh, and just eat the yellow card. Cause I think they're on to something that I want to hmm. discuss a lot more in the second half. And that's that yellow cards just don't matter at all. You can get them. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Reds reds are the only thing you have to worry about as a player. Well, and I, so I, well, I'm going to say that we have a little bit extra injury time in this first half, just to All add right. a comment, a little comment to that. Yeah. I, well, I think that there's, there's other elements of that too, where like, yes, they like, they often like they don't care, but there's also this situation where like some players have actually gotten really good at now, like circumventing the consequences that come after a challenge. Mm-hmm. And 
it's become like a bit of an art. Like one thing that I, I was listening today to the TIFO football podcast and the guys were talking about Fernandinho's job against Neymar when Man City played PSG. And the fact that basically he was he was played in that second leg to, to effectively neutralize Neymar. But what he did was he like committed an unbelievable number of, of fouls in that game, like tied mm-hmm. for the most fouls in the game and like didn't get, I don't know if he even got yellow carded. And what they were talking about was it was like, and I thought it was very interesting that Fernandinho's basically mastered this art of like the post foul, like, you know, walk off method, which is basically this idea that like, he like, he like goes hard into these challenges and then he kind of has this, he's optimized this balance of like walking away, expressionless thinking, like acting as if nothing happened, but not walking away too fast, you know, to suggest that he's running away from the punishment, but just casually walking away and he doesn't he doesn't stick around too long, but he also just kind of resets for the next play. Kind of doesn't really make any sort of faces or doesn't ever you know say anything to the players. Sometimes he even like bends down and checks to see if they're okay, like in this way that might be genuine or might be disingenuous. Like apparently he was like yeah, I I didn't notice this, but the guys at Tifo were mentioning like he was like stroking Neymar's head a lot, like they're like they're just buddies, and he was like oh like I'm sorry, and and I mean I don't know like those are optical things and those are things that that might change whether that punishment is delivered. It's like, oh, well, he feels remorse. Yeah. Does he? Yeah. And if, if he gets good enough at doing this, if Fernandinho can do this on what should have been five yellow card fouls, right. and he comes away unscathed from a game where he should have been sent off twice, and, you know, are, is the yellow card a good enough benchmark for what constitutes, you know, half of a red or whatever it's supposed to be? I don't think so. The- well, you you had commented something to me beforehand, also before we started recording today, about like the the distinction between malicious and non malicious fouls too, or like intentional versus non intentional fouls. Yeah, and that's another yeah, huge I, gray area. It, it is for sure, and I, I think that's something that kind of ties into the dissent thing, where it's like you know, like it, it, I don't have the reaction with some fouls, you know, with, with with like these malicious fouls, like something in the PSG game. You know, I, I like I want to see the guy sent off. I'm like, you deserve to be gone for doing this. But some of these fouls, some of these like softer second yellows or maybe even a soft red card for a professional foul. I'm just like, like, it's bad. But like, does this team really deserve to play a man down for the rest of the game because of this? And I think one one move like really in the right direction. I love this. It's like probably my favorite refereeing change or soccer okay. rules change the past few years is what they did a couple of years ago. They they got rid of what was called this triple jeopardy rule. So this triple jeopardy thing or triple punishment was you you get it when you conceded a penalty and your player would get sent off and they'd be suspended. You know, so you, hmm. you're in huge trouble. That's, that's, the, that's the triple threat that's, right there. That's the triple threat podcast. Um, so they wanted to just make it a double threat. So what they did is they added this great rule. And I love this. I think stuff like this should be used a lot more places across the field. But they added this rule that if you're making a legitimate attempt for the ball, if you're mm. not just you know maliciously trying to stop oh. the player from doing it, then you can only get a yellow card for doing. Honestly, this in the I box. didn't. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. If you're if you're making an effort for the ball, you cannot be sent off for committing a penalty foul or a foul in the Interesting. penalty area. Interesting. Well, so I, I have to also kind of like compensate for the fact for my you know my bias earlier talking about Casemiro. One thing that I thought was pretty tough this weekend when when Real Madrid played Sevilla, the other important game in the Liga, mm-hmm. um, Ader Militao was basically called for a penalty 
in a situation where like it was a penalty uh, potential decision at one end, and then it was a, another potential penalty decision at the other end, because yeah. right after the the handball that Militao committed, Benzema got the ball and then was basically taken down by Bono, the keeper for Sevilla in the, in the other box. And so they went and they did like this double whammy, like VAR review. Yeah. And obviously it was like kind of like a logic gate thing where it was like, okay, if, if Militao commits the foul, then it's a penalty. It doesn't even matter to review the Benzema one. But what was really unfortunate and I have to admit this as much as I might not like saying it like this guy is his back entirely turned to the to the field of play like he is not looking where he's jumping with his the back of his head is like towards the ball and it comes off his shoulder and then it bounces and ricochets off of his wrist and it totally whacks him on the wrist. But the question is just like. Like that, that does interrupt the, 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 the trajectory of the ball that does like, you know, that is an overt handball in the box, but. Like, I don't remember if he got a yellow or not, but it's, yeah, it's like, that was definitely entirely unintentional. He jumped backwards. Like maybe he's, a, he's an idiot for jumping backwards like that, but he didn't mean that. Do you think that he met? He sure, surely he didn't mean to give a penalty there. No. Um, I mean, if it was deflected, they're not supposed to give those. If it comes right off his shoulder onto. Well, it comes off his shoulder and then onto his own wrist. Do you know yeah, the rule for that? I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be given, but um. I don't know, hand handballs have all of their yeah. own problems. And we can, we can definitely make worms. that a whole other episode. But Well, I think the last... So I'll make the last comment because I know we're burning into extra time here. We sure last comment, have to be a short second half. So. The last comment that I want to make, and I, and I honestly don't think it will be, but... <laughs> I know, it's going to be longer than this probably. So We've got a lot to talk about. Oh, the, the last thing is like you started off talking about City. I want to close off the first half talking about City again. I think one thing that's also the last kind of thing in this like flaws and problems section where we're talking about like how crime and punishment works in this game is this idea of tactical fouling. And tactical fouling has been largely popularized by Pep Guardiola's teams. It's it's something that was seen back in when he was at Barcelona, seen at, at Bayern Munich, like at Barcelona perpetrated by, by Busquets largely at that sixth role, at, at Bayern Munich largely by Javi Martinez mm-hmm. in at city and now it's it's very much like everybody kind of does it fernandinho is like the focal point but you'll often see situations where teams that are like really really attacking this idea of tactical fouling is like man city often will play a like three two five in build up and they push a lot of players high up the field which leaves their their them pretty susceptible to counterattacks. and i know you and i were talking about this as like an interesting structure that you're looking into with your own teams too where like you leave some side vulnerabilities right yeah and, and so one of the things that like City is very well versed in is if the other team starts to have a counterattack and the defensive shape isn't set properly and there's like a certain risk that's perceived, you basically just go and like grab onto a player and like halt the play. And it's this Thank tactical you. foul, right? Yeah. And you take the yellow. And this is something that's become increasingly common. And, and if you look at City, there's also instances where it happens really high up the field. Like not only Fernandinho, but like, you have those five guys that are pushed up. You'll see Sterling commit a lot of fouls because, you know, a pass, he made a pass, the fullback intercepted it, and then he just grabs onto the fullback because he knows that the team is pressed really high up the field. It's, it's kind of like an extension of that classic, you know, six-second mentality from Pepe Barcelona, except now instead of winning the ball back, it's like stop the attack at all costs I mean, it's, in six it's, seconds. Yeah. It's pretty inextricably linked. And, and so that's yeah. another example of a situation where, like, now you see that these flaws in this foul system are also opening up doors for tactics to be made with regards to like how you ought to use fouls, you know, and like how you ought to use yellow cards because, you know, 
there's no punishment for a yellow card. There's a punishment for a common foul is that the other team gets a free kick. There's a punishment for a red card is that you have to take a player off. You can get a lot of yellows in a game, in a season, and be fine. Pep understands this, and I think there's there's a lot of reasons for why this is, and we, we can maybe get into that more in the second half. But I, I think it is time for our break now, Martin. Yeah, sounds I'm good to me. Real, real thirsty over here. <laughs> All right, see you guys on the other side. All right, tweet, tweet. We are back. Uh, the boys are newly hydrated. Uh, we're, we're ready to go. I think what we're going to do at the beginning of the second half is talk a little bit about potential changes, right? Will, we've kind of just complained a lot so far, and that's a lovely therapy session that we've created for ourselves. This is a nice space that we can just sit and fester. But I think we have to produce something productive out of this. And maybe even if it's highly abstract, at least trying to like propose some, 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 ideas that might borrow from other sports or might borrow from other things as to how we might change this. And even if it isn't a fully fledged idea, I'm curious to kind of brainstorm with you and hear if you have anything to think about here. Sure. And I, I've, I've got one very big idea to change this, but I'm, I'm going to save that to the end, actually, because that's kind of a crazy one. I need to do a, a little bit more setup work or else no one's going to agree with me on this. But uh, okay. So okay. I think, you know, one potentially interesting way to do it is, like you said, increase the resolution. Instead of having two yellow cards, what, what if you said 10 fouls or six fouls and you're out of the game, you know, no matter how bad they are? How would that change things? Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm certain that there's a lot of research that's been poured into this type of thing, looking at the way in which different like foul punishment structures have affected you know, sport. And there is a specific kind of idea that I want to get to in a little bit too, that alludes to this in some capacity. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it's, it's an interesting proposition where you are basically saying, yeah, like all the different fouls that are like little nicks and little tiny things, I guess. I, well, okay. One thing that I would be worried about in, in that situation as like a caveat, if you were to increase the resolution is that yeah. maybe now you see like even more stoppages. One thing that people obviously complain about is like, oh, like you don't, you never like a ref that like blows the whistle too much. You always like the game to be free flowing, and and ideally in an well, ideal world, well, you would this have make no it more fouls. Flowing? I mean, this would be the same amount of fouls as you had before, maybe even less, because now players are scared to get common fouls because they actually mean a lot more. And now the ref also doesn't have oh. to waste time. Uh, I, see what, I see what you're saying. So it's not like you're blowing more yellow card level fouls it's just all the common it's just only common fouls you're just blowing common fouls it's like the six yeah if you okay, get okay, six okay. any fouls six fouls and you're out you know the referee wouldn't even have to keep track of this it could be done by the var people or offsite or something it would make it a well, lot I'm, faster yeah well i guess that's interesting you could i mean the academies will surely like that given that they have elementary school kids that are just learning how to count up to six so <laughs> yeah, that sounds good to me i that was a bit forced, Martin. But I'm yeah, sorry. That was a good effort. <laughs> um, you. Uh, so so you, okay. So increase resolution definitely. <laughs> um, I guess yeah. When I was in elementary school, I knew how to count. I don't know why we're like suggesting that these elementary school kids don't. Know. I feel like you learn how to count when you're like uh -huh. in preschool or kindergarten. You're pretty <laughs> well versed at that point. But okay, sure. I digress. Yeah. Uh I, I guess like, so, so one thing that I, I kind of wanted to mention too here is like the ability to challenge calls. So this is something that exists in American football, yeah. um, 
where you have like the the coach or like the coaching staff has the ability to basically kind of like apply a little more scrutiny to a decision and they have a, a quota not a quota but like a, a max number of flags basically that they can throw on the field that's basically like okay a foul was called or a, or a decision was made by the referee and you know in our case in soccer like maybe they didn't look at the var at the var you know camera yeah. tv thing and and so one one thing that i'm interested in kind of maybe thinking about is like what if a coach had a flag in their pocket that they could say like oh i'm really really up in arms about this like a situation where you would typically see like the whole team rush up to the ref and everybody get mad and then it's like oh it's given as a yellow instead of a red or like oh it's given as a it's not even given as a yellow it's just yeah. a warning so you like something where like you have the ability to say, hey, I would like you to take a closer look at this. I, I don't know if it necessarily solves the problem, but it just adds a different layer of like agency to the team, right? It gives the team a little bit more of the chance to say, hey, you know, you know, the situation, like you were talking earlier, there's a situation where a, a player will often go up to the ref and be like, hey, man, listen, like you got that wrong. That should be something where I think a, a coach or a player could even say like, hey, you should go take a look at this on the on the on the on the VAR thing. And maybe that adds you know, yeah, and do time. it in a more formal way. Yeah. But do you get what I'm saying? Like, instead of being like, oh, you missed it, and then they get a descent card. Like, how about you just say, hey, I would like this to be like my one challenge for the half. Like, go look yeah. at it closer. I think it, I think it's a great idea. It's a nice idea. Um, you know, I, I watch a lot of basketball, and this is something they've implemented recently in the NBA over the past couple really? seasons is they now have a coach's challenge. And it's been a huge success. Everyone really likes it. Uh, they're going to keep it around. They were just going to test it out for a year and see what the response was. But Universal success. Um, my my issue with adding this to soccer, I guess, kind of my concern, is that we we already have something kind of like this with VAR, where where you get these reviews of plays, and the general trend, at least in the Premier League, is that nothing changes. Is that the on field decision is stuck with hmm. most of the time? So my question is, if these VAR referees have shown you know a very consistent trend that they're going to agree with their on field counterparts. Like who who are you challenging these calls to? Especially when they're calls that are a lot more subjective than ones in sports that you know may more traditionally have challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess another angle to that too. We talked about optics earlier. Like, what do the optics look like if your ref is consistently being disproven on the field? Like, I know that there's yeah. a hugely involved process that goes into deciding like which refs get which fixtures and which you know they're like they get assigned and they get like rated based on every single decision that they make like like it's mm -hmm. crazy and this is this yeah. isn't something that you like i guess really see that much but i think i think i i i saw a video about this where it was like they will get yeah they'll get like scores for their performances just just like you would see like lakeep give a rating to a player refs yeah. get like scored by the referee whatever association and so if you're a ref that is consistently having these these fouls overturned like maybe it's something that you can be like oh well that's good like now we're we're, we're you know we're fixing this human error or it could be a weird optics thing where it's like oh now our referees are worse because they're being consistently shown that they aren't making the right decision yeah and you know what i'm saying for sure and i think that's something that the referees especially want to avoid is the referees you know, do not like criticism because I mean, I, I know, like you said, there is kind of that rating system, but like that doesn't do anything. It's like, no refs, you know, at least in the premier league are not getting, you know, actively pushed up and downwards down the refereeing pyramid based on what they do. It, it's very much, you know, uh, they're beyond reproach. And that's why I think that's why you get all these VAR referees agreeing with the on-field refs too. It's kind of like, it's this club. 
and we yeah. all have this agreement that we're going to agree with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a this. solidarity thing where it's like, yeah. hey, man, I'll back you up. You back me up when you're doing VAR. And yeah, I think if, if they had challenges and, you know, you start be, being able to, like, scientifically prove that these refs are bad, then that's something they're really not going to like. I mean, this is England is a country that doesn't even let people talk about the referees in the media, which which I think is absolutely insane. But that, that's maybe a whole nother topic. <laughs> I, I, I mean... Yeah, it, it certainly opens up oh, like it's almost like, you know, if you want challenges, you're kind of like asking to like, you know, watch the world burn a little bit, because I think that might be something that ends up being actually just like destructive. I, I know that yeah. I, for one, like could never possibly imagine being a ref or ever wanting to be a ref. I, I feel like I've talked to you about this before. We, but like, we talked about this on the first episode. Yeah, I, I yeah. want to be a ref very briefly and then stopped also very briefly. Like, like the, the only thing that you can do as a referee is like not do poorly. And I feel like yeah. that could not possibly ever be like a fulfilling thing. But anyway, I, I, I want to carry on that we, we don't push our extra time this half too. For sure. Um, one, one, one concept that I wanted to introduce, and you alluded to this also earlier in the, in, in the show, was this idea that in other sports, there's like very, very specific kind of like um, categories of fouls, and they each have mm-hmm. kind of like their own respective punishment, right? Yeah. So, so one thing that I wanted to maybe mention is the possibility of like distinguishing between what I'm going to kind of propose as being like foul paths, right? Like you go down one path and you have like, instead of having just one single path, like there is right now where it's like, you know, you get a handball and it's a yellow and then you get a bad tackle and it's a red, or you take your shirt off for your goal and it's a yellow. And then you say something to the ref and it's a red. It's just one specific road. It's a one way street. What I'm kind Mm -hmm. of suggesting is like, what if you were to split that up? And I I kind of preliminarily split it up into three categories that I feel like are reasonable to start on. So like one of them I have here is respecting people. Okay. So respecting people is an important thing just generally in life, right? That's like a principle that we should all kind of carry with ourselves. I think that's uh, one your elementary schoolers are really going to resonate with. So there we go. Respect. Respect people, respect property, respect yourself. Uh, Wait, that's the same the, thing that I had written on the wall of my elementary school classroom. I guess this that's is a common same. thing then. Yeah. Well, I guess we grew up in the same ho- in the same town. I guess they, it's, the, it's the almost superintendent, like yeah. the superintendent must have had some sort of like alignment on that. That's funny. Yeah, it was respect your yourself, others, and school property or something. That something was like that. Yeah. Shout out to all the unit four kids out here. But, uh, there we go. Um, mm-hmm. But but okay, respecting people. What 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 does that look like? Right. That's stuff. And I've, I have a couple examples. Insulting linesmen. Respecting mm-hmm. people. Right. Inappropriate comments to opponents, respecting people, uh, altercations, verbal altercations between coaches and players, right? That's like respecting yeah. people situation. The second category I have is just violence. Okay. Right. Like, again, I love it. Yeah. Sim- simple, right? It's just violence. So violence includes severe tackles, fighting. I've actually included spitting here. Maybe that's yeah. an interesting category of its own, but spitting, we'll put it in the same thing, right? It's any sort of like thing that is like bodily contact with somebody else that, that like threatens somebody else's like physical integrity, okay, sure. health. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you have left for this third path. Then The third one that I have is respecting the game. Okay. okay. So, so respecting the game here is something that doesn't necessarily fall into maybe like respecting people or respecting or, or, or violence, which would be like respecting, you know, human bodies as opposed to people's minds and, and self-esteems. Respecting the game is basically like diving, handballs in the box, tactical fouls, things that just like kind of happen. And you're just like, Ugh, we yeah. have to blow for that. Like we have to taking the ball we have away to pause after it. a free kicks given, maybe. That's exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah. It's like the it's like the yeah, like respect the, the sport. 
And so I think that those three kind of categories give a little bit more of a, yeah, it just makes more sense to me. Like you can maybe get, you know, two and respecting the game is maybe like descent, right? You can get two respecting the game fouls. You can get one like violent foul and you can get two respecting people fouls. I don't know. You, I'm just saying this, like brainstorming, thinking out loud, but something that basically categorizes them that Mm -hmm. way. It's like, okay, if you've got a guy that's mouthing off all game, he's going to, like you know he's gonna gonna hit his hit the limit on his path for that exactly so i don't know what do you think of that like um it sounds fun for certain players who now get to do you know a little bit of bad stuff in all sorts of certain categories uh (laughs) i guess that's a loophole it is it is loophole and that's you know like we talked about casemiro you know that's the kind of stuff that players are going to look for you know casemiro is now going to be able to you know, maybe before he could only he could only mouth off to the referee once during a game. But maybe now he can mouth off to the ref once and make a bad tackle once and kick the ball out the way after a free kick once. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's I, I think mean, it's I, interesting, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean that, that, it does fall short there. That's a good point. I I, I guess an, another question that I had or another idea that I had written down here was like, I think there's some people that might argue that the punishment for like actually severe tackles we alluded to this previously you mentioned pepe i'll bring in like you know joey barton like classic youtube compilation yeah. like like menace this guy is like yeah exclusively famous for like stomping on people or like you know there was the the you know something like the, the clip of i don't even remember who it was like rooney like clamping down with his cleats on like i don't even know if it was a ricardo carvalho or somebody's like nuts in the world yeah. cup when he got Sounds sent like off rooney. england versus yeah. portugal like stuff that's like actually severe that like you can like you know like, like Rooney could have neutered that guy, like you, stuff like that. Or like, you know, De Jong, yeah. Nigel De Jong against Xabi Alonso, 2010 world cup final Spain versus Netherlands, like Chet cleat to the chest. Like that's open heart surgery. Three match ban. Right. So, so I guess, what, I guess the, the, the thing that I'm proposing here is like a potential change or at least a question is like, is given the, is giving the red card for that actually doing absolutely anything to l- discourage that type of behavior because what we kind of see is we see these players that have like this like notoriety about them with regards to like their their you know their temperament and like you mentioned earlier let's say you get a red card it's a one match ban you leave your team with 10 men for a little while and then you just come right back and do it again yeah. right like you just there's like some lunatics in this game that just come right and just it's just consistent it's like yeah, yeah like, you know this guy's like getting- Neymar is well, this, from, this like, season, what, like this, the yeah. violent angle or like the petulance angle? Oh, just just coming back and getting red cards over and over again. I think he's got five thing. this season. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, uh, but like, okay, for another example, that's kind of like a weird nuance here too, right? Kane came under fire. Harry Kane came under fire this year because a certain handful, a certain collection of clips kind of circulated through the media of him like basically undercutting players no. when they were going up for headers and like you, nobody you, was calling it you hated him for this you you were really upset when you saw this i remember because well because i mean i mean okay so for like the listeners that that don't know like i don't play anymore because i had a a spinal injury when i was younger like and that cut my whatever my limited playing career at the age of 15 and that's when i started coaching I, I see a guy that's like up in the air going contesting a header and i see somebody that like checks the legs takes the legs out from under them and when you fall down from that height, you do not know where they're going to land. Like you, you, yeah. th- that is so dangerous. And like, I'm, I don't hate Harry Kane. I don't hate his, I don't hate him. I think that's, that's, you know, 
but but you that can hate behavior, the things he does. Yeah, like like that's the type of thing where it's like okay, and he was not getting called for it. That's that's the type of thing where it's like that's just that's a disgusting thing. That's like yeah, like you know, showing a little bit of physicality. You get t- flipped over midair, a meter yeah. up, two meters up in the air, and you land on your head or you land on your neck or your shoulder. Yeah, that's that. That could be a life changing injury, like injury, like that, that's stuff that like isn't taken seriously enough. So, and, okay. and even if it's not a life changing injury, it could be a season changing injury. And you have the, you have this weird kind of inequality, where you have these tackles that are hor- horrific tackles. They might put the player who's on the receiving end of them out for six months or a whole season. You know, that's a huge punishment for the team that's on the receiving end of these fouls, and well, then the corresponding punishment for the team that commits them. Is a three match ban. I think it's funny. I think it's funny you mentioned that because one of the things that was like, I don't even remember what the context was. It, if it was like, it might have been. No, I'm thinking of like the way that Ansu Fati was injured at the beginning of the year, which was like honestly not the worst foul ever. It was a bad tackle, but like now Ansu Fati's basically had to have like three surgeries. It's a huge thing for Barca fans right now. But I, there was some point in the year where somebody made some sort of foul, like you're saying, where it's like it took a player out for six months and then they got like a two match ban, three match ban. Yeah. And there was this whole wave of online like, you know, out like outrage that was basically like, oh, if a player commits an injury to another player then they ought to have to sit out the same amount of time yeah, that, the, I've seen that, that the injury was. Yeah. And I and I don't I don't agree with that at all. I it's think not there's a lot of but it's an interesting there's, idea. There's a lot of serendipity that goes into it, right? Like you could definitely make a very innocuous challenge that like breaks somebody's leg and that's a very unfortunate situation. Yeah. But if you are breaking somebody's leg, the question is like okay, what did you do to get here? Like are we really going too far at this point already? Yeah, and I, I think the real problem is that there is that kind of hard upper limit on how bad the punishment can be for red cards. You know, as, as long as you stay within, you know, what I called a couple episodes ago, like episodes ago, like normal soccer rules. Like as, as long as you're still making a soccer play, the most you are ever going to get is a three match ban. You know, and, yeah. and this changes when you get weird stuff like the Marcus Theram spitting or Luis Suarez biting people. If you just start doing some really weird stuff, you'll get longer bans. It's like but the retroactive any, stuff. Any normal tackle will get you at most three. And this, this is a huge problem. I think so, because in, in these kind of scenarios, um, I want to tie it back to, I think this, this might be like Hammurabi's law code or something I learned about a long time ago, but there's, there's this elementary concept. school. <laughs> this is maybe a middle school one actually. Okay. Upgrading. Um, yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about crime and the death penalty for a little bit. So yeah, we're going to change our, our, it's PG now folks. If yeah. you're in elementary school, please, you know, Turn down the volume. We're, let's, we're get into, about, let's get into that. So back serious business. Back in Hammurabi's day, you know, they were they were trying to set out the code of laws or whatever. Right. And when they're trying to set out the code of laws, you know, they're like, oh, what, what should the punishment for stealing a horse be? And you know, some guys just like, oh, it should be death. And then they thought <laughs> about it for a while. <laughs> it was and like, silence. Okay, here's the problem: is if you kill someone for stealing a horse, then after he steals the horse, he has nothing to lose. He, yeah. he might as well go around, you know, killing and burning everything he sees because he already is at the maximum punishment. And until he gets caught, he's just going to keep doing stuff. Right. But I mean, this, this like is how much this, worse can know, it get? This is assuming he's going to be caught. Like he steals the horse. He knows he is going to die. He knows he will oh, be okay. caught. Okay. Okay. He, he has nothing else to lose. He has nothing it's to upper lose. Limit. And you get tackles like this where, you know, you know, as long as you're not doing something completely outside the bounds of normal soccer, you're going to get a three-match ban. So at that point, mm. if you're pissed off like Kempembe or Danilo Pereira is, why not? You're out of the tune. Why not? Yeah, 
you're out of the tournament anyways. You've been knocked out, right? Like they were out at that point. And then you see these two tackles where it's just like, yeah, it's endangering these players. Like you're pissed off. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I mean, I if, Jesus, thing... if Jesus's leg was planted on either of those, he's out for oh, the season broken. probably. It's broken. Yeah. yeah. One thing to consider, I think, that is a question that I've seen too, that, allu- that I think you're alluding to as well, is this idea that like, yeah, there's this upper limit. So one thing that I've certainly seen a little bit of, or maybe I'm asking out loud is like, should there be quote unquote worse colors, right? Like, should we have a whistle? That's our first kind of stage, a yellow card, a red card, and then like, you know, a black card, right? Or like, should we have then like a, you know, like a, like a, like a white card or like, you know, like, like, should we have just like more colors? Should we have, and not, and not necessarily like, you know, the six fouls, the six common foul things, but should we have like something where you see something really grotesque and it's like, all right, this is like, like, it's not just you're out of here, but there's like something else. So I, I think what, there, should what be, your thoughts on that? there should be more punishment, but I don't think it could be done with cards. Cause the problem is like, once you give a red card, the player leaves the field. So you can't like sure. give a red and then another one. But I think I, I see what you're getting at. I think there should be a lot you know, there should be a lot more structure to kind of punishments rather than just a second yellow is a one game and a straight red is a three game ban. And that's well, I mean, and and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later. You made me think of another kind of concept. It's like, well, what if, for instance, a red card is what you're the player that perpetrated the foul leaves, but a black card is that person has to leave and the coach has to take off another player. You're playing with nine men. It's crazy. I don't even know what to say about that. Um, (laughs) That was just out of left field. So but where it's like where it's like if you murder somebody on the field, like your team is going to lose that game. Yeah, maybe. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't know. Again, we're gonna maybe dive into that a little bit. It, I, but but before we, we get into it, I think one thing that I want to talk about with this black card concept, right? I was thinking about this today. You you brought up this whole yellow card functionality like question, and I was thinking about it last night, and then this morning it kind of came to me like I was thinking about this anecdote from a book that i read recently which is david and goliath by malcolm gladwell i'm sure many people have read it um not me so please explain (laughs) sorry guys will is illiterate so so i'll have to give you the rundown so so here's basically the idea right this is going to kind of take a little bit of like a somber turn so we'll you know be a little bit more serious for this but the the anecdote is like a quite a a it's a depressing kind of like situation, but I think it relates in some interesting ways to what we're talking about. Okay. So this is going to make you guys long for the days when we were talking about light topics, like the death penalty. Exactly. So basically the idea is it's chapter eight, chapter nine of this book. Um, Malcolm Gladwell basically references a situation that uh, surrounds this girl named Kimber Reynolds. Okay. So Kimber Reynolds was an 18 year old that was living in California. um, And she went to dinner with a friend was, robbed at gunpoint and then ultimately shot in the head when she resisted the robbery. Okay. So she had a purse and these guys came up to her and they pressed like their motorcycle up against her and they robbed her. And she kind of like, you know, didn't respect the robbers and, and the guys killed her. And when, when they looked at the profiles, the people that committed these crimes, it was this one guy named Joe Davis who recently had been imprisoned for auto theft and his partner on the other bike or on the same bike was had been in jail seven times. Okay. They were both meth addicts and they had tried to steal a vehicle earlier that day in broad daylight. All right. So Mike Reynolds is the dad of Kimber. He's a father. And, and 
basically Kimber was rushed to the hospital and they were, Mike was there with Kimber on her deathbed and he promised to her that he was going to do everything he could to ensure that something like this never happened again. Because at that point it was like, she's had it taken a bullet to the head. It's a, it's a horrific, horrific thing. She's not, she's not surviving this, but he, they had this conversation. That's how the book kind mm-hmm. of tells the story. Yeah. And so the, the, the idea is like, yeah. So at the time, like Fresno, which is where this happened, Fresno, California was, was dangerous. It was like the community was enraged. It was a very public and very senseless act of violence. It was in front of like this diner that people would go to. And so Mike started, Mike, the dad started getting calls to go speak on live television about this, right? It's a horrific situation, senseless. Yeah. That's really the main thing. It's senseless. And so basically he goes on this like talk show and he talks, or I don't know if it's a talk show or if it's just like, I don't know, something like, you know, Charlie Rose equivalent, right? And and they kind of had this discussion that led into basically what the murder signified or what it meant for California's justice system, okay? And so then they proceeded to have a meeting with loads of these influential kind of like crime and punishment officials in California. Um, and, and the conclusion that they arrived at was this idea that the penalties associated with breaking the law were too low, okay? okay. So... What they basically said was they said that chronic offenders were being treated no differently than those that were first timers. This is the interesting angle that this guy, that this kind of takes where one of the bikers I mentioned before, they had a track record of things. They had been doing crimes earlier in the evening. One of the bikers like had his first police bust up at 13 for trafficking heroin. Okay. Yeah. And so from this was basically born what's called the three strikes law, the three strikes rule, very, very, you know, I think every just about everybody, at least in the state side, probably, especially if you live in California or out west, like is very familiar with this. If you study any sort of crime, law, punishment, whatever, it's very, very well known. The idea is that anybody that commits a second crime is going to have to serve a sentence that's twice as long as like what would be the prescribed amount for that crime after they've committed a first one. So you commit the first one, you pay the price, you do, go do a year in prison. The second one that you commit, the second time you break a rule, right, society's rules, you have to do double what you would have had to done. So you have to. So if you did the same crime, then I think my understanding of this is like you do twice the amount of time. Yeah. A third crime imposes twenty five years to life in prison without any exceptions or loopholes. And there's this like crazy scenario, and there's a lot of them, I guess, where there's like a guy that committed two crimes under this regulatory system and then like stole a, a pizza as his oh as God. his third thing. And it's like 25 years to life. Okay. So this was a thing that was like written up, like in that meeting with those, like, you know, officials, like in the backyard, I think, I don't want to misquote, but like, I think it's like at the house of the Reynoldses and they, they typically, you know, these type of like referendums, these like, you know, like, uh, like punishment or crime or like law related things. I'm not an expert on this by any means. They're, they're not easy to get to pass and they're not easy to like bump up the ladder and get to the highest level where they would eventually eventually get like kind of like indoctrinated. Yeah, for sure. This referendum like passed with 72% voting support. Okay, so like, like very, very widespread. Everybody's just like, this is so senseless. Like this is happening in our community. We have to protect what's going on. And so this kind of became what, what, what Gladwell cites as like the largest penal experiment in American history. Yeah. Okay. And... and what ends up basically happening is in 1989 in California, presumably when this happened, there were 80,000 people behind bars. Within 10 years, that number doubled. Okay. So like 160,000 plus people behind bars. So you have twice as many people that are like behind bars. Crime rates plummet. 
Mm-hmm. And so in an interview with Reynolds, I guess Gladwell had been talking to him and Reynolds kind of compared basically the role that he had. He said that if you have, uh, I'm forgetting the thing that he kind of said, the quote that he mentioned, but he said something to the effect of like, there were used to be 12 people killed every single day in California. And today there are six people killed. And so I like to think that every single day I'm saving, I wasn't able to save Kimber's life, but I'm saving like six people's lives every single day. And that's something that like, I I, I, I get to say, or like something that, that like can make me feel good about like the impact that I'm making as a result of the promise that I made her on her deathbed. Yeah. And, and so what he says is he like compares his role in shifting this like crime and punishment system to like safety belts in cars or like tamper proof medicine bottles that are like simple devices that save lives every day. Okay. And, and I'm, you know, I hope that people have started, have already kind of been maybe comparing little tiny bits and pieces of this with obviously a grain of salt. This is a very serious issue to what we're talking about in this episode at large, but like cards going back briefly to what we've been discussing are simple devices that protect players every day. Right. It's a thing that's like, it's a, quote unquote technology, right? That's just a simple solution that does its job that potentially could be perceived as something that protects players. Okay. And bear with me. Okay. So what Gladwell kind of goes on to say is he says like, you know, the stats seem to suggest that Mike got what he wanted. Right. And I'm sure you would probably agree with that. Right. Like this sounds like he got everything that he wanted and like, you know, crime rates plummet, lots more people in jail. This is excellent. Right. Sure. Yeah. I have a sense there's a butt coming. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. what, what basically Gladwell talks about is this idea of an inverted U-curve. The inverted U-curve is something that has been popularized to describe situations in which, quote unquote, more is not always better. And the idea that extra resources only serve to make things worse in certain situations. And so there's a couple of examples of this, like practical explanations. And I'll, I'll mention one that will go back to our rated G mm-hmm. um you know, level class size versus quality of education is a classic kind of discussion. A lot of parents, when they're trying to pick schools for their kids, are like, Oh, well, like, you know, is the class size going to be small? You know, that's, that's like something like everybody thinks it's like really good, you know, more one-on-one interaction with the teacher and the, and the pupil and a lot more like, you know, specific instruction, whatever. Yeah. Everybody always kind of has this understanding that like a really big auditorium class probably is, you're not probably not helping either. Right. It's this, actually this inverted u curves like a you know like a i don't know lowercase n kind of or like a hump situation yeah. or like a little mound an upside down u is another way you could visualize it maybe oh wow yeah that's really good yeah. and and so it's like at the beginning you're graphing <laughs> you're you're graphing like class size versus the quality of education if the class size is really teeny then you have poor education quality because there's no discussion you get no additional perspective from the classmates it's not that good. A yeah. medium sized classroom is like at the high end of quality where it's like you get kind of like this nice balance. And if it's too big, it's this inverted U curve. You fall back down. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like finding the sweet spot in between the two extremes. Totally. If you look at another situation, like parenting and wealth is another instance that's, that's cited in this book where they talk about how like, okay, families that are struggling for, to put bread on the table have some sort of like, I don't know how they measure parenting, right? But this is just this thing that they mentioned like like parenting when you have a lot of things to fight for and you're trying to get bread on the table and it's hard to whatever like low end of the spectrum ability to like raise a child in those circumstances yeah high end of the spectrum extreme wealth pure like affluence everything that you possibly want you see a lot of kids that are actually 
somehow incredibly depressed or incredibly like neglected by their families or maybe other or other sort of situations. And so you kind of see that same sort of like the parenting is is also poor. And you can argue yeah. that it's a separate conversation. But then they talk about how like yeah. middle class families that are, you know, maybe the parents aren't working, you know, 12 hours every single day and they can spend time with the kids and they make enough money yeah. to be comfortable, whatever. That's the that's the line of logic. So yep. g- given those two examples, people started to ask, like, what if the relationship between crime and punishment took on this same exact shape? Or okay, sure. where... So like where it's like after a certain point, cracking down on crimes, cracking down on infringements on rules stops having any effect and actually almost makes it worse. Okay. So originally people hear this and they kind of like, okay, this is like an impossible notion. This is ridiculous. Like obviously Mm -hmm. if you keep cracking down on crime, it's not going to make it worse. There's no way that's possible. And the, the original assumption is in some capacity also like you know, every locked up criminal is a good thing. Every person that does bad stuff, you put them away somewhere where they can't do bad stuff. Oh. It's a good thing. And that's a flawed, yeah. that's a flawed assumption. Yeah. But, let's, but take, another, take another, everything we talk about on these like serious topics is a big grain of salt. We're just trying to explain soccer guys. We're not trying to talk politics or whatever here. Oh, by all means, I want to clarify. And if this wasn't clear to begin with, this is purely like from Gladwell's book. This is yeah. not my personal. Oh, like, I, I, I know too. I'm just saying, I hope that's know. not, like, like the, the locked up criminal thing is, is proven statistically to be entirely factually incorrect. But basically, the other assumption is that humans are rational beings. That's a, that's a huge, massive assumption. That, that, that's a big one. Yeah. That, that humans see punishment looming in the horizon and will actually adjust their behavior in order to avoid it. And, and that they're able to, like, very concretely calculate risk versus reward scenarios. It's something that... Will, you taught me back in high school, you used to always mm-hmm. tell me, you know, life is just a game of risk versus reward. And I, I always think about that because while it's very applicable, I think it's a hard calculation to make. And yeah. a lot of the, 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 the discussion that was held at the time, the discourse was this idea of like these criminals that are like, you know, killing people or robbing people or doing all these things or like battery, all this other stuff. Are these the type of people that really will take a, a moment to pause and second guess what they're doing. These are the people that are going to be able to rationally calculate yeah. risk versus reward. And so the 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 concept of this three strikes was like, okay, you raise the cost so high that the benefit can't possibly be worth the risk. You say the cost is going to be really really high, and yeah. so you're not gonna you're not gonna commit any sort of infractions, right? It's the same kind of concept of like, if you were to have some sort of like you know, black death black hole card that was like you do something so bad on the field like you can never play again like oh my god the, 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 yeah like the the idea was like oh well then you're definitely not going to even get close to that because then your career is over right no way yeah so basically the, the the flaws in this logic right come back to this u-curve idea and and the concept is that that assumption where like criminals respond to increases in the cost of crime by committing fewer offenses we can think about this in the same lens as like players, do they really respond to red cards and yellow cards that might come at the end of some sort of like infraction? And does that actually prevent them from doing those things? <laughs> so the question becomes, right, this, or I guess what, what is like proven through research is that this is true when penalties are very low, which is interesting and not probably something that I would have thought of initially. And and they invoke, Gladwell invokes this, this like example, this historical example of the 
Montreal police strike of 1969, which I didn't know anything about, but I think is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Montreal, for those that are, are international listeners, Canada is very well regarded as like a very happy, very nice, very kind, you know, place. Everybody, get, like it, the, the, the assumption is that everybody gets along, they're very respectful. I don't know. You compare them to the United States and a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I want to move to Canada. OK, yeah, it's just like slightly upscale United States. I think it's kind of the perception here. Right. So, OK, what happens? Basically, there's I think that the police went on strike for like 16 hours or something. And in this lovely, peaceful Canadian city, rampant bank robberies in broad daylight, looters everywhere. You have taxi drivers that had a feud with limo drivers over the course of years, which is just a hilarious thing. That's just like imagine these two as like gangs that are like rival mm -hmm. gangs over like who gets to pick up passengers from where on the side of the uh, on the side of the street. I think there was something that said that like the taxi drivers, there was a group of them that made like hand bombs, hand grenades and like throwing them at the, at the limousines. So like God. descended in total chaos. This is Canadians, right? Yeah. Doing this, which is totally is. incongruous. And as soon as the police returned, order restored. Yeah. It's kind of, you haven't seen that movie, The Purge? Yeah. Any of those? I don't think I have, but I think I, like, what, okay, uh, what's the, what's the comparison? Uh, the, the idea in The Purge, this is, I, I saw one of them. I don't know which oh, one Oh, I know. Which, this um, is like the mask thing. They wear the, the mask thing. The, the idea is crime is legal for 24 hours and then everyone goes insane. Hmm. Then everyone's normal back at the end of the day. Anyway, it's kind of like this. I guess. Yeah. And, and so I, th what the, what the idea kind of shows is the fact that there's clearly a big difference between having no penalties at all. Right. One way that we could kind of talk about like potential changes is like, Oh, you know, if cards, yellow cards don't work, then don't have yellow cards. Well, then don't have fouls. If you don't have fouls at all, it's, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a huge terrifying proposition. You gotta have you fouls. Need, you need to have some sort of method, but th the idea is like, they, they interviewed some of these criminals, right? Maybe not necessarily the ones in Montreal, but like they inter interviewed criminals, I think with this like California body of research to, to just feel, figure out like what's going on in the minds of people that are like breaking rules, right? Mm -hmm. What they basically found out was they were like, the criminals kind of expressed this idea that when they are executing the crime itself, many of them block out the fear of getting caught so they can actually concentrate on the task at hand. For which sure. I thought was very, very interesting. Like they were basically saying like, no, I don't think about getting caught. I don't think about the proverbial yellow card or red card when I'm going in for a tackle. I'm trying to execute that tackle so that I either get the ball or hurt somebody. Because that, because I guess that's how they live, man. It's like the risk versus reward. You know, you always focus on the reward part. It's like if, if these sentences are getting increased, if this is something that was a 10 year sentence, you know, a couple of years before this three strikes thing was passed and now it's a 25 year to life sentence. You know, they weren't they weren't going into it before with the expectation that they were going to have that 10 year sentence. The expectation exactly. is that I'm going to get away with it and making they're it not going to call it first doesn't matter because I'm not going to run into that deterrent. Well, so what they were basically saying is that the, the collective kind of approach was, quote unquote, I wasn't thinking that far ahead. It's like what was said by a lot of these guys. And so the question that I'm kind of posing here and bringing back tying back a little bit is like. Does the punishment system really work then if the perpetrators are just out there doing what they do and not thinking twice? If they're basically just kind of reacting and receiving these punishments, but it isn't maybe necessarily even like a conscious thing. Like somebody goes into a challenge. 
you will see it to a certain degree. Like you'll see somebody go into a challenge and they like wince and maybe pull out because they don't want to hurt somebody. Yeah. But a lot of times, if you're going into a challenge and you're trying to go in for you're a hard gone. tackle, yeah. you're in there. You're focused on the task at hand. You're executing the action, the crime. Yeah. And so I think I thought what was really, really interesting, like kind of tying this up a little bit is like, there was a criminologist named David Kennedy that has this quote in the book that I thought was fantastic. And, and he basically goes something to the effect of, it may simply be that those who stand ready today to take a chance, often on impulse, on what they view to already be a small likelihood of a serious sanction, will likely be ready tomorrow to take the same chance on what they still view as a small likelihood of a more serious sanction. Yep. And I thought that, that idea was obviously very interesting in the context of, you know, crime and, 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 and murder and all these other things. But if you think about that from the lens that we're discussing, where you talk about the idea that Casemiro can get a red card in the 91st minute, and he's walking off the field, and he's chuckling to himself because he knows it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's going to come back and he's going to keep doing stuff. And you're going to have the same thing with any of these players throughout the entire world that are just kind of consistently perpetrating these acts of like, yeah, like sporting violence. Yeah. What what do you do about that? Is the intention of the punishment system to prevent violence, to prevent disrespect, to prevent the game from being insulted by the players? Or is it just a means for reeling in when things get out of control? I think that's a good question. And that's a hard question to answer for the punishment system of soccer as a whole. Um, but I think it's a very easy question to answer for one specific aspect of soccer, and that's yellow cards. And I, I think that yellow cards specifically are their only purpose is to act as a deterrent. I think that makes them unique among soccer fouls and kind of among fouls in sports in general, because a yellow card does not carry any intrinsic value. If a team has a common foul go against them, they get a reward, they get a free kick. Hmm. If a team has a red card foul go against them, they get a reward, they get a free kick, and they get to play the rest of the game against fewer players. But if a team gets a yellow card against them, they don't get anything. All they get is, you know, a free kick, the same way you would for a common foul. And I think what makes it really tough, too, is that the the offending team isn't losing that much in doing these yellow cards. Like you said, I mean, it's it's not really a strong deterrent, or at least not much stronger than the deterrent of getting a common foul is, because these things just do not end up mattering most of the time. I think you take that and you think about the the significance of like justice and like retribution, right? One thing that I, I definitely, I totally agree with what you're saying. Cards like punish the perpetrators in a sense, not necessarily yellow cards, but like red card punishes the person that committed the foul, the team that is associated with the person that committed the foul. But fouls themselves reward the, the victim in a sense, right? That's the free kick side of this. There's like yeah. two things, right? You get you get a yellow card and you get a free kick and the other person gets a caution. You get a red card, you get a free yeah. kick and the other person gets sent off. One kind of twist that, you know, I, I brought in this whole like Kimber Reynolds thing. Yeah, I want to obviously tie this all together and talk about like, what does this all mean? There's a couple of questions here that we can discuss. One of them, like you're alluding to, is this idea that the reward, maybe we need to think rethink how the reward is given too, because we've talked about the maybe ineffectiveness of the punishment yeah, the and team that's that committed it. Something I want to talk a bit more about soon. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hold on to that thought for a second, but I'll, I'll hold on to it till the end. I, I guess the, the way that I want to... Uh, 
conclude the 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 section about Gladwell's book is mm-hmm. that basically what they did was crime crime rate statistics were basically justified that or used to justify that this three strikes method was like you know useful and was well, working. Murder, murder rates went down fifty percent or whatever, right? Whatever you and, said. But the problem is that they were taken out of context. And this this ties into something that you mentioned to me actually earlier, which I thought was very interesting. And the, the thing that he notes, Gladwell notes in this book, is that rates for crime were already dropping long before the three strikes was even implemented and across the country where it wasn't even in existence. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing to note, because if you think about this for the lens of soccer, one thing that we definitely alluded to in previous episodes was like, if you go back and you look at like, you know, 1990s soccer fouls, you see like Roy Keane putting his cleat through someone's yeah. jaw. Now you see a tactical yep. foul where somebody tugs at someone's shirt to make sure they don't counterattack. Yep. And so I think this is an interesting kind of mm, like, like <sighs> reference to that lingering tradition concept that you mentioned earlier on too, where it's like, the, the rates were already dropping the, the, this new like added kind of like three strike system didn't really cause no, it. It know, rode the correlation, way a little bit. Yeah. Correlation isn't causation. And so it's like back in the day when fouls were way more atrocious compared to now, maybe the fact of the matter is that our sport has simply grown to be a little bit less like violent over the course of generations. And the things that, people do not just the things people get away with but the things people do are just like less absurd like you don't see like there's that clip on youtube of maradona like karate kicking a guy in the chest during a brawl at the end of a game it doesn't happen as much now the sports calm down there's there's more people watching there's more cameras you can't get away with as much as you used to be able to exactly and so that kind of speaks to the idea that like maybe these cards are a bit of this lingering tradition where it's like i think so and maybe the fact that people might look at it and use some sort of statistics to back up the fact like, oh, well, cards were implemented and then the game was like more under control. Maybe the game was already becoming more under control over the course of time by virtue of the game changing with the yeah. time. It's and awful. so I think the, the final thing with this, with this anecdote that was really interesting to read was that amidst all this controversy and uncertainty, right, the state of California spent 20 years and tens of billions of dollars on an experiment to figure out like, okay, we've talked about this at length, like, does this method of punishment actually work? Is it effective? Is this three strikes concept actually going to work? And get, and I want you to guess what the results were. My guess is that it did absolutely nothing. The, the result was that they had absolutely zero conclusion. That was like the official result that they spent 20 years trying to figure out if doing this was actually going to help. And they got nothing. They drew a blank. And so the, the, the result for that was that the law was radically scaled back and it became like a staple in every single like, you know, history, law, crime and punishment yeah. textbook in the country. But what this kind of suggests then too is like, okay, what does this all mean? It's unclear as to whether augmenting punishment, we talked about the black card, the, the white card, the black hole card that banishes you from the sport. Mm-hmm. It's unclear as to whether augmenting punishment with more offenses and more colors actually makes a positive impact on reducing violence. Yeah. And so maybe this idea of like making more severe punishments, maybe that actually doesn't work at all. Right. But one thing that I want to maybe propose is like, okay, by that same logic, a harsher red that follows a lighter cautionary yellow might also be flawed in principle. And so 
my question is like, does that make the like, should should we stop giving out yellows? Does that mean yes. that yellows are meaningless? Does that mean that we should only blow fouls? What does the yellow card even mean? The yellow card means nothing. And this, I promised you guys a crazy idea at the start of this half. This is it. So get ready. I, I want to get rid of yellow cards completely. And and here's why. Like I said, they, they don't really have any inherent value. They are only used as a deterrent, as a warning. The only advantage a team gets from a yellow card being given to the other team is that there is now a small chance that the other team will get a player sent off. So yellow cards are only in, intended as this warning. So the question then is, are they an effective warning? And uh, we've entered the part of the outline, which I just titled Math Zone in all caps. So <laughs> I've got no idea what's coming here. This, Will, Will you, you did not let me read this part of the outline. I, wanted to I shock didn't let you read this. I, I wanted to shock you with a few numbers. Um, there are going to be some big numbers in here. So if you want to grab a TI-84 plus silver edition or maybe just oh, yeah. a, a piece of paper and follow along at home, you go right ahead. So um, I didn't mention this. I meant to mention this earlier in the podcast, but one of the kind of inconsistencies uh, with cards we were going to talk about is the fans effect on cards. And oh, yeah. uh, one kind of interesting thing is that the number of yellow cards overall has gone down uh, massively since fans have stopped being allowed at games during the pandemic. And yeah. uh, even more interestingly, uh, the home card, advantage uh home teams used to get given yes yellow cards than away teams did and that's kind of disappeared as well so that's interesting stuff but i'm i'm only really saying that to say that i i studied the 18 19 premier league season for this because that was before all of this happened this is back when we maybe had a bit more of a normal time okay hmm. so all right some big numbers there were 380 games in a premier league season right and this means that over the course of the season, there are 1,000 or 10,640 potential player games. So this is assuming that every manager uses three subs every time there will be 28 people on the field uh, for each match for the entire season. Um, and of these, and th this is a high estimate, but even if you assume no subs, it doesn't change that much. It's like 9,800 something. So it's, it's a... Uh, it's pretty close. And of these, you know, 10,640 10, player games, uh, about 1,200 received a first yellow card at some point in the match while they were on. Um, and, you know, you asked me to guess something, Martins. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you guess something here, too. So I want you to guess out of those 1,222 first yellow cards, remember, a yellow card is supposed to be a halfway point to a red card. Uh, how many do you think? actually got a second yellow at some point you said the sample size was a thousand roughly 1200 about 1200 200 18 you're kidding me 18 18 i'm trying to think about like games in which that i watch i feel like 18 18 um this shocked me and what also shocked me is that the number of red cards uh, for a season is also way 18. lower than I thought it would be. The, the I'm, overall... stu I'm, stu I'm stuck on this. I'm stuck on this. No. 18 out of 1,200. That's correct. So this, that's, this means that... Uh, that's 
a yellow just card, over one percent. Yeah, a yellow card is twenty six times more common than a red card, or at least oh it was my this season. God. And I looked, I looked at a lot of seasons. Um, the that numbers aren't exactly low. the same, but it's a pretty similar pattern. This is this that, is not an outlier. Um, and and the total number of red cards is also much lower than I expected. It was forty seven total, including these. That's that's about one and a half per week. That like, shows that there's a lot of these Casemiros out there. It's not just Casemiro that's getting his second career red card after does. doing a bunch of stuff. It's a lot of people uh, are just not getting reds. Yeah, and, and this this was surprising to me on the surface. But my first impression when I read this is like, oh wow, this this must be a really good caution then. If you know, ninety eight point five percent of the time, if a player gets right. a yellow, they don't get a second one. And I was like, wow, hmm. that's pretty impressive. Okay. So that means that means that means that if you do get a yellow, there is a one point five percent chance that you're going to get a second one. And I feel like there's a butt coming. That sounds yeah, there's a butt coming, Martin. That sounds pretty low to me. But the average for players who don't get yellow cards, uh, they have a zero point three percent chance of being sent off in a game. So that means that players who have a yellow are five times more likely to be sent off than players who don't. And there's there's a very obvious reason for that. And maybe I'll let you say it. If you know what it is, if I mean, you're ahead of me. what just, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking at the outline. I'm not at the map. Oh, zone. just, I, I, I meant just like mentally, but I guess you're not. Um, I'll say it then. I'll try, to, I'll try to use my brain here. Well, I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is just the, like a, a, a foul that causes a straight red is, has to be a lot worse in yeah. nature than a second yellow. The bar is much lower. The yeah. bar is much lower. That's huge. I mean, that, that's a huge thing that explains away almost all of this data. So Let's say I, I doing my calculations before that, I said players are five times more likely to be sent off after they receive a yellow than if they don't have one. But if I use this stat from the start where I said a yellow is about 25 times more common than a red. So this means that you know if, if I just use that as a ratio, that, that flips it. So instead of players who have gotten yellows being five times more likely, um, taking this into account, they would now be five times less likely. To receive, uh, you know, to, to get sent off because it takes into consideration that the bar is so much lower. But I don't think the bar is that much lower. You know, as we That's talked about in the first half, I think there is a much, much higher bar for what you need to do to receive a second yellow than the first one. And like I said, I think a lot of these players who are on a first yellow card are getting away with tackles that would be punished otherwise. I see what you're saying. So it's almost like once you get that yellow card, it almost builds up a little bit of like yeah. a like a protective shell that means that you have to really go out of your way to actually go and get sent off. Yeah. So, so it's, okay. it's, it's really hard to nail down what exactly the effect of this is, but you know, we have this stat that a yellow card is 26 more times or times more common than a red. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think the bar gets a lot higher. I would say that the type of challenge you need for a second yellow card is maybe something that's only, you know, splitting the difference, maybe something that's only like 10 to 15 times as uh, more common than a red card. Hmm. Do, do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah, I think and so. These, yeah. these challenges are, are less frequent than yellow card ones. So because of this higher bar, if I say that, if I say 10 to 15, then instead of it being five times less likely, it would now be two to three times less likely that a player would be sent off um, after receiving a yellow, which is still a pretty good deterrent. But there's one huge thing I still have to talk about, and that's time. Because when, when I'm talking about these player games and how, you know, there's there's 1,200 player games that included yellow cards compared to the 9,000 that don't, 
Right, One right, important right. thing to remember is because of the way this works, these these player games for the ones who are yellow carded only begin after they receive the yellow card. If that makes any sense, so their their time before they get the yellow does not count. In this, hold on, explain. So explain that again. It di like dive a little bit deeper. So what do you mean? So the the player game is defined as what? Uh, it's it's just it's the entire match. So it's. It's the idea where you have this many players and like if a player played in a, in a game, you know, that counts as one player game effectively. But um, for for like what for the player, the player or is that just like a counter that accumulates that's just, all of that's the just player like the, games? That's just like the total counter. That's how I get to that big 10,000 number. OK, at the end. But the idea is that, you know, there were there were 1200 of these games that resulted in the player getting a yellow card. Right. Okay. And, what I'm, and what I'm looking at is what they do after they get the yellow card. So that means the only part of the game I look at is the part after they get the yellow card. So if I'm Got looking okay. at these people who are already playing on a yellow, it's not, I see what you're it's not like they're getting yellow card in minute one and playing the full game. They're playing significantly less amount of time than the sure. other people are. So what may, might be a 90-minute game for every single player who didn't receive the yellow, or at least the ones who started the game, you know, could only be a 30-minute game for these guys. And you know, I, I'm doing an estimation with this. But my estimation is the, the average yellow card is given in roughly the 60th minute. So if I just take that average and apply it... Everywhere, Sounds about right. That means that these this group of players is playing a third of the time that the other group is. And I, I think one, one other consideration I want to make with this is, in a sense, they're only playing half of the time. Because like I said, the average yellow card is given in the 60th minute. So in terms of card the 60th minute is sort of like the halftime whistle of the game and hmm. there's there's some weirdness here with red cards not exactly fitting into this but again i think you can reasonably uh take from this a two to three times decrease in the minutes they are playing and when you take that into account and remember that after the last step i had it that you know these players are two to three times less likely to receive yellows this wipes it out hmm. so i'm left with i mean this and I'll, you know, massive disclaimer, I, I could be just so far off on all of this. There's a lot of guesswork here, but I don't think I'm that wrong. I, I, think, I think there's even other factors to look at that would tip this even more in my favor. I tried to be harsh on myself when mm -hmm. doing this, but the numbers put out that this is not a very effective deterrent, if it even is one at all. And so the approach then, what you're saying is that Yellow cards ought to be eliminated entirely. That we are to just do the common foul thing. Do we have red cards? What happens there? Yeah, I think I think just get rid of yellow cards, leave everything else the same. I, I know this sounds crazy. But like I said, I mean the, the only value, like if I'm objectively looking at yellow cards, the only value I can see is that they are a deterrent. And, you know, from, from personal experience, like just watching games, I don't feel like they serve that as much of a deterrent. And, and people just, know they're going to get a yellow and they take their shirt off when they celebrate. Yeah. I mean, and, and these numbers, you know, again, I could be way off, but I, I don't think I am. And they seem to really indicate that this does not serve as a significant deterrent. So my question then becomes, is we, we handed out, or the referees that season handed out 12,000 yellow cards or 1200 yellow cards 
and yeah <laughs> hold your horses yeah 1200 and, yellow cards okay and they followed up on 18 of them yeah that's crazy I, are, i'm are still just, stuck are on we just stack. wasting a huge amount of time on this are we wasting this, a huge amount of this, paper is this even important yeah could could referees be running faster without that extra card weighing them down? There's all <laughs> sorts of questions here. But I mean, and and even of these red cards, you know, this this is a you know pretty significant minority of overall red cards. Most most red cards are still for one-off offenses, like over sixty percent. So most of the time, these yellows don't even come into play. So my my yeah my I guess my proposal to cap this off is that just get rid of yellow cards you know for 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 those one-off offenses over 60 percent of red cards this will change nothing right right for, for the 98.5 of yellow cards that are given and then do not result in a yellow in a red card this will change nothing they're not really being punished before they wouldn't really be punished now and the the only place i really see this causing a difference is that refs now instead of having a set warning where they give a yellow card um, to sort sort of serve as a halfway point as a benchmark, would mm -hmm. now just have to keep track of it themselves, and that makes it tough for foul accumulation. I accept that it does, but I mean refs kind of do that already. You know, for yellow cards, you'll see them do this kind of mental foul accumulation and bring it up. And, well, I mean, you I, see that you see that they like will write the number of the player on the card, right? You could very yeah. easily see a situation where you just have a notebook that you just kind of have a, or maybe you just have a card on your wrist or something like that, that you just do tally marks on. Yeah, it wouldn't like be that. the worst thing. It wouldn't be that hard. I, I think, I think it's stuff that refs are already, you know, familiar with doing. So I'm comfortable with it. And again, you know, this, this happens 18 times that season, you know, assuming that you have about 18 refs, which I think is accurate. This is something a referee will have to do once a year is send a player off or something like this. And I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know how to digest that number. That eighteen, I, I maintain, is just stuck with me. Eighteen red cards. It's crazy. And I, I guess twelve hundred yellows. So that's so. Here's that's I guess an angle that we can kind of also circle back to. We mentioned earlier this idea that like cards punish the perpetrators, but the fouls reward the victim. Right. Yeah. We're talking about this idea that like okay, if we do away with yellow cards because it's just like slowing the refs down, it's adding you know one extra bead of sweat to their brow at the end of a game, but nothing else, nothing much else. Yeah. Maybe there's also room to kind of reevaluate. This is also pretty controversial. The the rewards that are given to the victim. Okay, so I mentioned this kind of off the cuff idea of like, oh, a black card as like a really, really awful challenge that now you have to go down to nine men as a yeah. theoretical idea that like, you know, okay. a different way to look at this. You mentioned free kicks earlier. Are free kicks the best thing that we can do? Are free kicks the best way that we can tell somebody, hey, I know you just got clamped down on by somebody else's, you know, metal stud and you know, you're bleeding a little bit from the leg. Why don't you have a dead ball situation? Why don't you run a little routine from 50, 40 yards out? See if yeah. you can loft one into the box and get a lucky header. Is that the best we can do? Probably not. And there's, there's other issues with three kicks too. Like, you know, an inch of difference could mean the difference between a penalty and a kind of useless, you know, kind of quasi corner kick. Right. It's, it's weird. But I mean, I think that there's a there's a lot of room to and, and penalties are a whole other thing, right? Like penalties, I don't know the the specific thing, but like it's like a 0.7 xG chance that you're awarding for something that, like you said, could be a fingernail away from having been a 
0.1 xg chance it's a free kick from out the edge of the, the edge of the area yeah but one thing to I, I actually briefly considered the question of like oh maybe we should make the box the penalty box bigger and make more room for penalties to begin but then i was like jesus christ like maybe yeah, i'll maybe yeah, i'll reel that in simmer down there dude but one one question i had was like the same thing for a red card challenge is a dead ball enough to reward the, the the victim of that of that tackle like somebody well, somebody the, comes for that's your not life the reward though that's not the reward the reward is them getting sent off okay that's a that's a fair, that's a fair point that's, but that's why i follow with yellows though is you don't get you get no reward for it you just get this okay, so it doesn't it doesn't mean anything so imagine we keep yellows yeah and you and is a dead ball enough for a yellow that's just quite disgusting and hits that 99 point but doesn't hit the 100 critical no. threshold I, I think no I think if yellows were to be kept it it should be maybe a slightly higher threshold for it and i think they should be accompanied like in hockey by maybe a short penalty uh, where a player has to leave the field for a few minutes and then can come back yeah they rejoin the activity at the end they get another chance yeah. i do i do kind of like that um but well, I, I think in their current state yellows they just aren't doing enough they they don't really make sense they don't fit into any of this and I don't know. I think we could just save a bunch of time and let refs kind of focus more on the stuff that actually matters because red cards actually matter. You know, maybe you, you talk about disc space all the time, but, but, but if a referee's <laughs> disc space is filled up with determining like, oh, like, should this be a common foul or a yellow, you know, which again, 98%, 98.5% of the time is going to end up being a completely irrelevant decision. Right then should he be oh. focusing more on other things yeah 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 yeah. like other better ways that you can be managing the game i guess the, the the final again far out concept that i wanted to maybe introduce was the idea that you, we talked about like resolution we talked about maybe like needing to differentiate between different degrees of fouls and maybe you know a a unfortunate handball on the edge of the area is something or somebody like coming in from behind and, and hurting someone is a different thing one thing that I was thinking about too was like, if you think about the free kick as a concept where the defense in any free kick situation is given basically this barricade, that they can put a human barricade in front of the ball, right? Yeah. Which makes it hard to shoot. There's people oh, that are, man. you know, like James Ward Prowse is an expert at getting the ball up and over. It's a difficult, difficult skill. I mean, I really Here's like where question. you're going with this one. Yeah. What if the, if the challenge is really, really that bad, it's a long distance penalty. No wall. And it's a, it's a no wall, oh, but also dude. all the all the players have to move out of the way. It's a it's the same thing as a penalty, but it's just from distance. And you see if your best long shot taker can just have a crack at goal. No pressure, Man. nothing. The ball is there. It's a dead ball. That's that's not easy. Like if you if you were to look at the XG of like a penalty versus a, you know, a, oh, a bad foul is committed 35 yards out. You get a free shot at goal like the chances you're scoring that are much less than scoring a penalty. But it's still oh. something that could be interesting could be a different i don't know what are your thoughts you had a reaction to that uh i don't know maybe it was just you said 35 yards that's like too far i wouldn't even okay. want it i wouldn't even want it from 20 far out 25 yeah. yards 25 yards 25 Outside yards of the yeah but i don't know i mean i i think that that creates a difficulty where that might not be something that's desirable for a lot of teams you know a team like liverpool we have no one who can take long shots really you know we have trent who's like okay at free kicks sometimes but like i I generally I rather I'd generally rather get the free kick there, an average opportunity to play it to my own players, than just have to take a gamble that I'm going to be able to hit some insane long shot to beat the keeper who has nothing else to worry about. Because like the wall, the wall like unsights the keeper and all sorts of stuff too. I think that makes it easier for him in some ways as well. If it's just a one on one, 
here's here's a question what if and i know this is something that's also been kind of like brought up briefly what if wherever the foul is committed you just get a free kick from there and it's like always direct so like what if you have no box at all the box is there for the keeper to know where they can use their hands but what if a foul is made on the corner of the area where the xg at that point maybe with a packed box might be like 0.03 if you make a foul in the corner of the area, like let's say the Sissoko handball in the, in the Champions League final that I know you know very, very well. Hey, yeah. Like what was the what was the XG of that? I don't know, but not very high. And then suddenly the punishment for that is a 0.7 XG like reward. What if that's simply you get a direct free kick from that exact point that the foul occurred and you have no penalty spot? Because XG to some degree is a function of how central you are with regards to the goal. Yeah. If you, like, like it radiates outwards like like from the goal mouth and so the question is like yeah if you make a foul when you, if you have a player that's dribbling and beats you down the down the the goal line right from the corner flag between the corner flag and the 18 and like you foul them just on the corner there what's the xg at that point point oh five, yeah. and you're going to give probably. them 0.7 what if you just gave them a free kick right there and it's direct so like you could shoot it if you wanted to but it, it gets so hard like, I guess I mean, if you did it, like, on the goal line. Yeah. Like, like what happens with Suarez when he handballs the ball against Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's an interesting idea, but I think it could end up, like, really punishing the team that gets fouled. You know, which, which is not what you want. I, I mean, I, I agree, like, it is too harsh sometimes, but, like, I want that harshness to be on the side of the team that gets fouled. I, I don't want a team to, like, commit a horrible tackle in the penalty box and get, get rewarded with, like, some stupid free kick that's, like, wide of the goal and they're never going to be able to stop. Because it's, like... It's very scenario based too, like you know someone someone who's through on goal absolutely alone on the side of the box about to slot a finish in is very different than someone like dribbling into a packed box and then getting cleared out. Sure, right? and those those would then be rewarded with the same thing, which is neither of them are very effective. Yeah, it's like yeah. I'd rather I'd rather have them both be awarded with the same thing that both of them are very effective. You know, put the onus on the defenders to have to not foul rather than the attackers to have to get fouled in the right position to shoot from. Well, also, I guess the other thing you could consider is like, yes, it's a 0.7 XG chance, but taking penalties is not an easy thing. You see no. people miss penalties all the time. You see top players miss penalties. You see like weirdly specific players that are like weirdly excellent at penalties that aren't good at other things. So it's almost like it's like an interesting facet yeah. of the game that like adds, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I agree. The main, the main high level thing that I'm proposing is just that, you know, we've talked about how maybe circling everything, everything, everything together. We've circled a lot, miniature circles. Now let's do the we, one big circle. We better get started. On that. <laughs> I, I think that there's there's room to be skeptical with regards to the effect, effectiveness and the flaws that exist with yellow cards for the player that is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there's also an equal amount, or maybe not equal amount, but there's an interesting kind of area that is worth exploring that just figures out what ways can you actually reward the other team more? Because if you, you mentioned like the red card, the reward is, you know, the player, you play with fewer players or whatever. Yeah, and that's like, a huge advantage. We, so It's a huge advantage, but like, can we also be more creative? Like I, there's also plenty of times where, okay, yeah. you get a red card. Do you know what that ends up doing? That ends up basically saying, all right, sub off this, you know, the person that committed the foul was a defender, sub off our striker, put on a defender, we're going to pack the box, we're going to park the box for the last second half of the game. Maybe that actually ends up making it more challenging and, and the one, team that's trying to score. One really interesting stat uh, kind of relates to that that I read while I was doing that is um, 
for for away teams, this doesn't apply to home teams, but for away teams that might be playing more defensively, mm-hmm. if you get a red card in the 70th minute or later, your chances of winning go up. <laughs> or, or your chances that it's not your chance of winning. Your don't don't your chances of conceding go down. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, don't yeah. tell don't tell don't don't speak too loudly. We don't want people yeah. like proliferating that time. I think, I think that's what that's what PSG were trying to do against City. They were trying to get enough people sent off. They're uh, they just be on. They were actually yeah. gonna. Well, no. I mean, I I I believe the second piece that I ever wrote for Touchline Theory back in like August or something or September was about our match day Barcelona's match day 37 against Osasuna. And I believe if I remember correctly, Barcelona or no, Osasuna got a red card in that game and they ended up coming back and beating us like 2-1. So it's been a long time, but I have seen that work like very horribly for the team that suffered the foul. Yeah. Supposedly had this like, you know, again, this ostensible advantage of, oh, we're up a man. And then the other team just said, all right, well, we're just going to go for the tie. They pack the box. The other team gets frustrated. You know, Barcelona is like, oh, we can't break them down. They push all their te- all their players up. And then boom, Estupinian, who was on loan at the time, bombs yeah. down the left-hand flank and then plays in a cross on a counterattack with some random, a- random, oh, some random <laughs> guy. I haven't used my quota yet. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut that out twice. Jesus. Who I I sought myself the first time. Don't you worry. That's okay. I think we'll 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 look at it. I guess in post. Uh-huh. Um, but the, and and then Barcelona are punished again. Yeah. Which again, I'm not gonna make Barcelona a victim here. This happens all the time. Like teams that get red cards somehow like come back and they actually end up winning because I, they. I see what you're saying though. Um, this getting a red card kind of invite invites the frantic finale against you to tie it back to last mm-hmm. week. It's like. You know, at that oh, point, yeah. you've got nothing else going on. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to sit back and, you know, hope this turns out okay. Because you lose all your ambition there. And it's well, look at your team without any ambition is a very scary thing. Look at Burnley. You know, they're beating people left, right, and center. Well, think about the optics thing that we've discussed too, right? <laughs> if you're a team that is playing an, an opponent that has a red card, you're, the expectation is now that you're going to win. You're going to oh, take yeah. that game by the, by the horns. And so now the red card was in the 60th minute and it comes to the 70th minute and it comes to the 80th minute and you haven't capitalized on that advantage. Now you're throwing everything at it because you, mm-hmm. it's the optics of everything. And now right. maybe you're susceptible to have being punished yourself. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic. I'm it's glad. part of the beauty of this sport. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we could tie this episode back into the touchline theory, cinematic universe, um, all the things we talk about. I'm glad you've officially, you know, <laughs> created the touchline theory cinematic universe. I like that. Yeah. I I have a, a I think a piece that will maybe be coming out soon that I'm now calling also the touchline theory tome of terms, which is just taking every weird idiosyncratic thing that we use here on the blog or on the podcast as just a you know random term. Today I, I published a piece on defensive skiing and just putting it all into like some sort of lexicon. So maybe cinematic universe, tome of terms, uh, art museum hall of fame uh i don't know top elementary school kids Um, (laughs) uh, best best counters yeah you tell me fastest Uh, refs (laughs) i'm just cracking myself up at this point it's 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 getting late i'm glad glad someone's enjoying this um Um, so i don't know will uh I, i think this was uh Quite, quite an intriguing discussion. Do you, you want to... This might actually be longer than our Super League one. 
if this is longer than the Super League one and anybody actually managed to get here, again, we appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Will and I are obviously having a lot of fun here. At least I am. Um, um, this, this is this is a pretty fun one. Yeah. And so I guess we we have some exciting things that we're looking forward to in the coming weeks. We've been talking a lot um, yeah. about kind of the direction in which we want to take this. We're going to keep doing the same thing for right now and keep kind of posing questions that kind of keep us up at night or things that kind of just come to us in a fever dream and yeah. collectively trying to take to pull them apart and think of all different sides and, and pose counter arguments and push kind of each other. Yeah, but we do have some some interesting things that we might be looking to bring relatively soon so so stay tuned for that yeah and uh i don't know tying this episode together i think we we talked about a lot of stuff there's kind of a lot to go over with this again this seems to be the trend with us but we ask very vague questions then kind of get caught up and going at too many angles of them we I gotta stop being so surprised we, we gotta stop yeah um i don't know my takeaway is Yellow cards don't matter. I think some players realize this. I think some coaches realize this. That they're just not important. I think they're, you know, an, an archaic thing that we could just do away with right now. I, I love that soccer's rules have stayed the same for 150 years or whatever. But, like, come on. It's 150 years later. Let's do some stuff different. Let's get rid of yellow cards. And with that, I think we're good to, to go to bed, really. I think so. I'm... I'm I'm sleepy. I'm tired. What time is it? I, I slept it's... through a lot of that podcast, actually. So <laughs> yeah, what... you guys didn't didn't see Will, but he was snoozing during the entire bit that I just kind of went on a little monologue. So I'm yeah. glad he's awake now, but we should probably get him to bed. It's past uh, his bedtime. Maybe. I'm well rested now, so I might stay up for a bit. Drink some well soda or something. I don't know. What do elementary school kids do when they stay up late? Play it. I'm happy. I'm happy for you, you elementary school kid. <laughs> like Pokemon? I don't know. Alrighty. Gonna, yeah. This was fun, man. Um, till next this, time. This is something else. Till next time.